stories about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Folks, Morris speaking here. You're listening to episode 31 of my podcast, Love That Album. This is the album discussion podcast where I and a fellow co-host will go through a favourite album in disgustingly nerdy, minutia-like detail. (laughs) And as you know, I always like to have another co-host, and as you also know, I like to... uh, go through a variety of people as well as getting some people to come back and so I have invited a new member, a new person to the Love That Album family of co-hosts. So on the other end of a Skype connection, I have the host of the all-time top 10 podcast out of Los Angeles, Mr. Ben Eisen. Good, oh, it's afternoon for you, it's good morning for me, so good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon. It's still Saturday here, and uh, from what I hear, it's Sunday there. So uh, I hope the rest of Saturday was good. You don't don't give anything away, though. I, no. I want to find. Look, I'm 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 afraid I'm going to have to. Uh, Sydney won the AFL Grand Final, unfortunately. So, uh, but you know, place a bet on that and see where your Saturday afternoon takes you. You can, you know, as we've already discussed, you can do something Marty McFly style. But you know, he yeah. paid a heavy price for for that knowledge, though, didn't he? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't considering disrupting the space-time continuum. <laughs> I was just going to maybe make a little bit of uh, a little extra scratch, but uh, just I don't, now that now, now that I've said that, I'll probably get in trouble. So I better I better not. But don't you know, Marty Ben? Great you've Scott. gone you've gone and interrupted the space-time continuum. Oh my God, this what? is terrible. One point twenty-one gigawatts. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's that's my favorite number, my favorite power. Actually, getting, that ought to be a good all-time top ten show, all top ten favorite filmic numbers or something, or, or num- songs with numbers in them. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Countdown. I, I know that when um, Bob Dylan did his theme time radio hour show, he did a couple of episodes devoted to uh, Count, called Countdown, so every song had a number, but he specifically went 10 of this, 9 of that, 8 of that, and it was uh, yeah. very I love cool, it. Well I, uh, it used to be up uh, on online for just to download like the archives, Yep. and about a year ago they took it down. I, I was really disappointed, because I uh, just, just, it's just a brilliant show. Look, I was very fortunate. We, I don't think we had it um, on because we don't have sort of like a satellite radio system here, at least not that I'm aware of. Maybe I've got my head in the sand, but I had a very nice guy in uh, in Scotland who um, used to send me them on CDs. Like he'd get twenty episodes and just send me this big package. So nice. um, so you know, I've got them all in sachets, and every time my family goes in away on a on a long holiday, that's what we take away in the car, and you know the. Oh. The kids have a great time listening. Oh, right. What what songs we? Uh, what's the topic, Dad? What are we going to listen to? And <laughs> yeah, that's a 
fun for all ages that show i, I uh, made my parents uh some mix cds recently and my my parents have totally different musical tastes my dad likes uh a lot of doo-wop and mm. you know 50s stuff and uh old jazz standards right. and so i made him a best of theme time radio hour with all that stuff mm. and then my mom likes a lot of bluegrass and country and and like psychedelic stuff from the 60s and and uh so i made her compilation you know best of the theme time radio hour like just two separate ones they can just take wherever they go so well, my, my wife absolutely can't stand country, so unfortunately, uh, when we're on the road, you know, listening to a theme time radio hour becomes some somewhat of a theme time forty minutes or something like that because he has a fair bit of country in there. But um, you know, I I now love George Jones because of Bob Dylan's radio show. Ah, cool, very Man, nice. Some of that old George Jones stuff—that's just like the most heartbreaking music you'll ever hear. Mm, mm, certainly, yeah, indeed. That's on, it's on the Grand Tour. If, if folks listening, if you haven't heard it, look look for it on YouTube if you can. Uh, George Jones, the Grand Tour. It's, okay. It brings the house down. It's so sad, but it's beautiful. I know that uh, Elvis Costello sort of became, or always was, a bit of a George Jones fan, and I'm pretty sure that um, uh, his album Rose. Blue was uh, you know, pretty inspired by, by his stuff, and he's gone and name-checked him a number of times. Yeah, Good Year for the Roses was a George Jones song. Ah, oh, right, yes, yes, so it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I love that show, mm. and uh, if you ever listen to my podcast, All Time Top Ten, you can hear the influence, for sure. Mm. Well, let's get into a little bit of that. Now, for for people who um, uh, haven't heard your show, uh, just give us a bit of a rundown. What inspired you to do all-time top ten in the first place? Is it was it like a, a high fidelity, like obsession to lists? What happened? Yeah, well, I've always been obsessed with lists. My wife can attest to that. She gets really annoyed. I'm, I'm constantly, you know, like to me, iTunes and like Excel, Excel spreadsheets are like sent from heaven. You know, I just I <laughs> play around with those all day. It's re- it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, my show is basically, it's all-time top 10. Each week, um, me and a guest, we pick a topic, and we each have our top 10 songs on whatever that topic is. Uh, We just did this past week, I know this is on a delay, but uh, the last one we just did was top 10 songs by the police. Mm, Yes, I finished listening to that yesterday. Or is that today your time? (laughs) day, whatever. Bizarre. Um, and uh, my buddy Alex is a huge police fan, and so uh, I had my top ten, he had his top ten, and uh, we kind of run them down. Uh, like I play, I'll will play my ten, number ten. He'll play his number ten. I'll play my number nine. He'll play his number nine. You know, and, and so on and so forth. There's a few things that uh, kind of inspired me to uh, to put this together. You know, of course, my love of lists and all things super nerdy, and of course, my love of, of music. And uh, also, Theme Time Radio Hour, which is because we did top 10 songs about food about, uh, I don't know, six months ago. Mm. And, um, that one, I think Bob did one of those shows. Yes, it? yes, he did, yeah. Theme was songs about food. I think and, that's actually one of my favorite episodes. He had some, uh, some really great tunes in that food episode. Um, oh, we had a great time doing that one. Uh, we played Rubber Biscuit and, you know... Uh, what was that one? I think I did uh, Rapper's Delight. Oh, all right, okay. There's a whole verse about you haven't eaten some bad food or something. So, <laughs> so I was influenced a lot by 
the Bob Dylan show. Um, of course, High Fidelity. They do, you know, top five records. So, yeah. you know, that just a, just a great movie. Everyone loves that movie. And uh, there's, a, there's a podcast um, that I listen to, a film podcast called The Film Vault, okay. which is uh, an offshoot of The Adam Carolla Show, which I'm a huge fan of. And uh, they got, gave me the idea to do the countdown like they, like they do it because they have a top, they pick a topic and they do top five movies on whatever they do, five. And so one guy will do his number five, the next guy will do his number five and four and four and so on like that. Yes. So I was like, that could really work with music, you know? And so uh, about a year ago, uh, my buddy Ryan Blake and I uh, started taping episodes and um, he's been up, he was on the, the first uh, 10 or 15 episodes and then he kind of got uh, too busy to do them anymore. So I figured this would be a good opportunity to continue the show and have a different guest every week. And uh, kind of bring a new flavor to each episode because you never know what you're going to get. And um, so we started broadcasting on killradio.org, which is a local uh, internet radio station. It's completely nonprofit, um, and uh, which is kind of one of the reasons why I'm able to play complete songs on the show because right. uh, there's no we're not making any money off the show. We're doing it for fun right now, and uh, so. Uh, we started broadcasting in December of last year, and uh, we've done, as of right now, uh, we have done 38 episodes, and uh, it's just been a ton of fun. And you're going to be on the show. I am indeed. I'm, I'm, when you went and sent me the uh, the spreadsheet, and we won't give away yet what, Talking what about uh, I'm going to cover, but um, when you sent me that spreadsheet, I was sort of imagining, oh yeah, he'll probably send me like about you know 10 different topics to pick from, and... Oh, oh no. God, you, you weren't kidding when you said you had a lot of spreadsheets. This is absolutely insane, and I don't imagine it's going to stop there, but there was about 150 available topics, not to count like the 50 or so that you said, oh, yeah, yeah, these are taken, and I just thought, wow, you know, he's, he's really given this some thought. Yeah, we uh, we're, we go crazy, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think right now I've got about five years worth of shows that are, you know, that are ready to go. Wow. It's 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 ridiculous. Like it's one of those things. Like it's just me. Like when I set my mind to do something like that, I, I go overboard. And uh, but it, so far, the the response has been really, really, really well, really good. Um, the, uh, the we did one uh, top ten Neil Diamond songs recently, and uh, it kind of blew up all over the Neil Diamond message boards. And it's been getting hundreds of plays and downloads. And people have been writing and like, oh, we love Neil Diamond too. You know, he, you forgot this song. You forgot that song. <laughs> You know, so uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and hope to keep doing it for a while. You are going to be on in November, mm. and we're going to be doing top ten rock wordsmiths. Oh, you shouldn't have given it away. Well, oh, well okay, all right. No, well, okay. Well, there you go. You can give that away. Oh, well, okay. And so, yeah, expect expect some uh, Bobby Dylan. Expect some Elvis Costello. I don't know what you're going to do. Okay. I I, I'll, I'll tell you right now. I was. It, I was going to say this like at the beginning of the sh of uh, your all-time top ten when I come on, but I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to include Bob Dylan. I, I love him to bits, but I just sort of say, right, okay, he's on this plane right, right. now. What's happening underneath that plane? I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going to well, challenge myself. See, for me, for me, for the show, I I, I like to go uh, in more in depth too, and like play some more hidden gems too, but mm. there. With each category, there is one or two that I feel like have to be included. And uh, for that one, 
don't worry if you're not going to play any Bobby Dylan. I'll be playing some Dylan. I'm sure. Well, there you go. So we won't have to go into um, uh, in, into uh, w- uh, one of your reserves or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the Dylan fans won't go into cardiac arrest waiting to... <laughs> All right, so um, uh, look, probably at this stage I should actually mention what we're going to be talking about on, on this episode of Love That Album. Um, now, when I originally, I think, asked you whether you wanted to um, have some involvement and um, you, you know, mentioned that you're a, a big fan of the kinks and you wanted to cover uh, the Village Green Preservation Society and I thought, wow, a fellow kinks nut, fantastic, and, and as but I thought, you know, as much as I love that album, and it is a phenomenal album, for some reason, something else by the Kinks was yeah. always something that may be a little bit more under the radar. And you, su- you suggested something else, and I thought about it for a day or two, and I said, you know what? Something else is a better album. It, I mean, it's nothing against Village Green. Village Green is, is a masterpiece, but mm. something else... It's a uh, yeah. It's just a great collection of songs. So, so I'm glad you suggested that we you know we compromised. And, uh, I'm, oh look, I'm really really glad that uh, we went down that road. As I said, look, you know, doing Village Green would have still been a great thing too. Uh, any any chance to talk about the Kinks is uh, yeah. is great news as far as I'm concerned. So basically, we're going to be talking about um, the album Something Else by the Kinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've got a whole bunch of notes. I'm sure you have a whole bunch of things to say about the album we'll get to that in a little bit but um as i always like to do with my co-hosts what have you been listening to of, uh, of late ben that you want to share with the listeners any recommendations things that you've been revisiting new albums what's what's been on your plate well um i just joined a band i'm, I'm a bass player and uh play i play on average in about three or four bands at a time uh, i play a lot of music with my, with my wife shannon hurley who is mm-hmm. a songwriter um but I recently joined a band. Uh, it's called A Girl I Know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a, a guy and a girl duo. They're both actors, but um, musicians as well. And um, they uh, have gotten a lot of buzz for their uh, debut single. It's called Bang Bang Bang, and uh, their uh, management and their, their their people said, "Put a band together, and we'll you know we'll get you on the road. We'll do whatever." So. Um, just found the uh, the ad in, in Craigslist and uh, joined this band, and it's it's a ton of fun. Uh, look for that single. That's the only thing that's released right now. It's called Bang Bang Bang. Okay. It features. Uh, do you ever watch the show Breaking Bad? Are you? I uh, look. My my wife is a huge Breaking Bad nut. Um, you know, I've I've watched a bit of it, and I really really enjoyed what I saw. But I think I'd sort of been. Burned, not, not burned out, but I've been watching a whole ton of HBO stuff that we got here on DVD. I've been, you know, watching uh, uh, Deadwood and The Wire and The Sopranos, and I thought, oh, do I need to go through another um, uh, uh, really emotionally draining TV series? And I thought, you know what, I'll, I will come to it. Um, yeah. And, as I said, I've watched a couple of episodes, and I think it's it. What I've seen, absolutely suckered me and I thought you know what I could be just sitting here in front of the idiot box for nights on end going through <laughs> this I thought I really didn't want to do that just yet so um you will you will once you once you get started on it but start from the beginning of course um a show like that you have to start from, from the beginning well just, I, I've seen the first two episodes and, and I'm thinking oh when, you know maybe I, I've got there'll be summer holidays coming coming on here in you know a couple of months and I've taken a few weeks off so I might just sort of like lock myself away. 
for um, a few nights and just watch all five seasons or whatever it is in one hit. Um, I, I think the the other thing I want to sort of watch, um, I, I watched season one, you know, a while back of The Walking Dead, and I still yeah. haven't got around to watching season two of that yet. So it gets it gets better. Uh, season one was okay. I thought season two. I, was I loved season one. So you tell me it's even season two is even better than you know than I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm speak just talking about Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. My just real sidebar. Let, let your wife know that uh, my wife's cousin is on the show. He's uh, Dean, right. Dean Norris. He plays the DEA agent. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, but there is someone on that show who is a guest vocalist on that that single from a girl I know, Bang Bang Bang. Uh, Jeremiah Bitsui. I forgot how you say his last name, but he's the guy who played Victor on Breaking Bad, and he uh, guest star on. Uh, this song, the, the debut single from that band, I'm, I just joined a girl I know. So look for that on YouTube. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of that stuff, you know, just incessantly. Um, the band is sort of a, kind of a party rock, but it's like indie. It has a little bit of, it's like Beck meets MIA a little bit. Okay. And a little, little bit of cake in, in the bass lines. I'm playing a lot of like cake style bass lines. So that's another band that I've been listening to a lot. It's Cake lately. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're a fan at all, I I I, I got to confess I'm not aware of them. Um, uh, from uh, San, San, uh, Sacramento, California. Right. Uh, they, were, they had a couple of big hits in the '90s. Uh, Never there. The distance. Um, it's kind of funky. It's kind of you just look look for them. You'll you'll be you'll like it a lot. Oh, cool. So, Cake, I've been listening to a lot of... Oh, Cake. Um, I thought you said Kick. Kick? Oh, we, we, no, no. no cake. So, cake as in eating. Oh, excuse me. I, That's okay. As in, like, a piece of cake. Ah, oh, right. As, as opposed to caking the football. Yeah. No, it's a... <laughs> it must be an accent thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah well, there you go. <laughs> um, so, I've been listening to a lot of them lately. And um, since we just did the police episode of uh, all-time top 10. I've been listening to a lot of them and uh, rediscovering how much I love the police. Uh, and uh, the I gotta, episode... I've got to tell you, I probably should have put this as feedback up on your Facebook page, but you know, growing up, the two people I wanted to be most like were Keith Moon and Stuart Copeland. Uh, <laughs> except in the Keith Moon case, not dead. But um, <laughs> yeah, That's a nice... Uh, yeah, you should uh, but, point uh, that out. But yeah, no, no, Copeland. Um, oh my God! Yeah, uh, absolute, absolute, phenomenal drummer. I think you you also made the point on your podcast about what a a great um, hi hat specialist he is. Oh. Um, yeah, buddy Alex, he said that uh, there's a Peter Gabriel track where Red he Rain. That's in, right. Yeah, brought in Stewart just to play the hi hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I've been listening to a ton of Police. Uh, because of that episode, I basically like whatever episode I have coming up. I kind of delve into that uh, stuff. Like like the episode before, we did top ten songs about drugs, and uh, which was a great episode. And I've uh, just been listening to a lot of that stuff. Like we played uh, like Pusher Man by Curtis Mayfield. Mm, mm. Yeah, and like uh, Mother's Little Helper. Oh, things Stones, like Stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I imagine that you would have found it really hard to find songs about drugs within the rock milieu. 
<laughs> yeah. Really? That's, really? I, I don't know. That would have been a hard show to put together. God. My brain. No, my original list actually had about 50 songs on it. And I, uh, <laughs> I had either, to go through. You whittle them down. Yeah, I do that every week. It, it breaks my heart every week. To, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but my buddy Paul and I did that one, and we both agreed that we have to do a part two at some point. Ah, cool. Very good. So, one thing I was checking out is. Uh, Psychedelic Soul by The Temptations. Oh, okay. So that, and, that would have been like early 70s or something like that. Yeah. Um, there's a song, Ball of Confusion, that's on there. Yeah. Uh, Take a Stroll Through Your Mind. It's like an eight-minute jam session where they're talking about how great it is to smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny coming from those guys who seem pretty straight-laced, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you scratch beneath the surface. I mean, all that, you know. We, we have this impression, squeaky clean impression of uh, those early days of Motown and uh, the, the 70s, you know, Motown, I guess, was you know, delving into some different areas. Yep. Um, so, so, those, yeah. those 70s Stevie Wonder albums you know, sound like nothing else that he'd yeah. done before, you know, the times they were a-changing, I guess. Yeah, What's Going On, Marvin Gaye. Mm, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. So good. So, yeah, that, that's, that's basically what I've been listening to a lot lately. Okay. Um, I'll just make mention of about uh, two or three things that I've been listening to of late. Um, as I think um, in the last show uh, that I recorded with uh, my good friend Tim Merrill, um, he went and asked, I can't remember in what context, but he went and asked whether I'd actually heard the latest album for Red Cross, and I have. Um, mm -hmm. I've been playing that a fair bit of late. Um, and you know, after our conversation, I just sort of found that's been in my CD player a lot. Over the last week, their album "Researching the Blues," and um, you know, when when they were sort of around in their like their heyday, I sort of hadn't paid that much attention to them. I remember that they came to Australia as guests mm. of uh, local band Hooter Gurus, uh, yes. and that alone should have been enough for me to pay attention to them at the time. You know, I thought, well, if they're good enough for for the Gurus, I should be uh, paying attention. But I didn't stupidly, and <laughs> then just. You know, um, I think it was only maybe a couple of months ago when I read a review of Researching the Blues and it was like, you know, five-star album from someone whose opinion I really respected. I think, okay, i got to go out and get this, bought this album. And it's just been playing over and over and over in my CD player. I absolutely love this. It's got, you know, that great sort of power pop kick and anyone who knows me knows I'm just a nut for that, um, you know, the great vocal harmonies, but with some guitar oomph, and, and this album just delivers in spades. It's really just a very short, not a long album, but every song is an absolute killer. It's just What's that album called again? Researching the Blues. I got I to check that out. Oh, look, I, I had a little bit of a look on, um, on uh, that repository of all information, Wikipedia, and <laughs> a, a, apparently Red Cross... They came across the name. Originally, they were Red Cross, as in C-R-O-S-S. Now they're with a K because I think the International Red Cross you know, told them to cease and desist. But apparently, they originally came across, or they decided to call themselves Red Cross uh, as a result of the cross scene, the crucifix scene in, um, in The Exorcist. Oh, wow. uh, Linda Blair doing some naughty things with 
the crucifix and I think, wow, if, as Kenny Everett used to say, it's all in the best possible taste. I guess yeah. it, <laughs> I guess it did end up red after that. Didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yes, it, it, it did. I don't know if that's, if that story is apocryphal or not, but, um, but it's a great story if it is true. Um, but yeah, now researching the blues, um, really just some, some great melodies, some great harmonies, uh, and just a lot of kick-ass drums and guitar and, and, all I can say is I, I, I listen to this and I can completely see how they ended up on the tour with uh, with Hoodoo Gurus. If you're a, if you're listening out there, if you haven't caught on to Red Cross, and I'm probably the only person out there who hadn't until uh, recently, but if you're a Hoodoo Gurus fan, um, then this is really an album that you have to have. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to end up in my... You know, um, Certainly, you know, top five albums of the year. I'm, I'm just, I'm crazy about this. Really, really great album. Um, so what else? Uh, for some reason, I don't know. I felt I, to dig this particular one album out. Um, but I've been listening to the last week. Listened to a couple of times uh, the Beatles album Help. Now huh. this this was always out of the early albums and really probably just period. Uh, one of my very favorite Beatles albums. I know that it's you know always the the critics thing to do to say you know the White Album and and Abbey Road and all that sort of thing are you know, the later albums. And really, truth be known, I think the White Album is my favorite. Yeah. Um, well, oh well, Revolver, Revolver, and the White Album. But um, how? I would go. Especially like you know, being, you know, taking this being an old vinyl head, and I have I've got all the albums. You know, bought them on vinyl. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was growing up, although I'm you know, not from the '60s because I'm, I'm not that old, but but, um, but yeah, Side One is one of the all-time great Beatles sides, and one of the all-time, and by extension for me, one of the all-time great sides of rock music. Period. Um, some just astonishingly good songwriting there. So um, yeah. That, that's a very underrated record, and, and you can kind of see they're making the transition from, you know, just the silly pop songs to uh, more introspective stuff. I mean, it's got Ticket to Ride, it's got yeah. You're Gonna Lose That Girl. Actually, you know, you know what? I, I can tell you, I do remember now why I um, pulled this album out. Uh, I, I bought this book I, at the I, beginning I, of the year from... Uh, a guy called Gary Mulholland, and the book is called Popcorn, and it has his reviews of, I think, about 50 or so rock and roll movies. And I don't necessarily find myself agreeing with everything that he says, but, you know, obviously he had to cover Help and A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. And so I found myself sort of go. It's a beauty of this book is you don't need to read it from cover to cover. You just sort of pick, you know, chapters here and there. And I went through, um, uh, read through his, his uh, review of Help, and he said um, he, that he was probably going to be the only person on the planet who liked Help better than Hard Day's Night. And I thought, no, 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 I'm with you. But then, of course, he went talking and, about the album or the, or the no, movie? No, no, no. So the movie, the movie. Um, and then he, he, he went he went on to uh, say, look, you know what? It's not saying much because I think both movies are boring. And then I thought, man, you've you just you had me on the first line and then you ruined it all on the next line because I love the film. Um, yeah. And then no, the that put me much to listen Hard to the album. Films are great. Hard Day's Night is I. It's got to be superior though to to me. I mean. Help. The best thing about Help is the music. Um, the, the movie itself. It, it's it's 
really entertaining, but it, the story is uh, it doesn't make much sense. No, but that, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, you know, because you, you watched that, and it was obvious that you know Lennon in particular, but you know, probably all of them had grown up uh, listening to the Goons on uh, on the radio when they were growing up, and if uh, it, was, it was a very British thing, I guess. I I, I don't know how um. Uh, how how much I I know that you know Americans are very much into Python Monty Python but I don't know you know how much the legacy of of uh, uh, Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe um, and um, Spike Milligan you know their work as the goons you know how, how much of an impression it's made on on America in general I mean I know that a lot of the Saturday Night Live guys you know had uh, had, had gone and said that you know they're really into that stuff, but I don't know, like in a general oh. phenomenon, what what the goons meant. But you watch Help, and you sort of completely get, yep, he's he's into the goons stuff. So that bizarre sort of thing makes complete <laughs> all sense. The, all the pythons would tell you too that they, you know, the goon the goons really started it all. Mm. You know, and that, that's why I, I see that in Help, and that's why I mean, you know, I, don't get me wrong, I love a hard day's night, but it's you know, twenty four hours in the life and. Um, right. And and this, it was it was a, a story. They thought, well, we can't do that a second time. Uh, but just, it, I, I laugh every time I watch it. When it came out on DVD, I was I bought it day one. I showed it to my kids and said, look, I you know when I was a kid, this was on television every year, and and just just watch this. And yeah, they yeah they both loved it. So um so yeah, I, I read that chapter in the book, and um, that that's what inspired me to pull the album out. Can we both agree, though, that uh, the film Magical Mystery Tour is terrible? <laughs> I, I think we can. Look, I read something in the last week or so. That, uh, you know, you wait long enough and everything becomes revisionist. But I think it's, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe they're you know, making a like a some sort of um, uh, newly remastered DVD print of it or something like that. But I think it's doing like a city-by-city city repertory cinema tour of Magical Mystery Tour and, and I've seen something only like in the last week or two and I'm thinking no, no, this is taking revisionism and sentimentality too far. The film is shit. The but, film uh, is shit. The, the, the music is amazing. Yes. But in the, in the music performances like the I Am The Walrus performance is amazing mm. but as a film it's just garbage. No, no. Like I mean, it was... He will tell you that today, you know, and it was it was mostly his idea. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they all said, "Let's get on a bus and see what happens," and nothing did. And nothing happened exactly. Um. So, but yeah, no. But help is is definitely a a film I really do love. Um. Yep. So okay. So I've been listening to that over last week, and uh, one more album I'll make reference to. Um. There's a film that I love from the 1970s. Uh. Well, there's well, there was an Italian director who's, I believe, his latter films aren't as good as the earlier films, and I've seen all the earlier films. But a, 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 a guy called Dario Argento. Oh yeah. And when, oh, sorry, go on. Just crazy horror films. Yes, exactly. And look, one of my films that I got to see at an age earlier than I should have was uh, Profondo Rosso, Deep Red. And it was years and years before I got to see it again on DVD from the time I first saw it in a cinema. Mm -hmm. But the music never left my head. And the music was by a group called Goblin, who I'm not yeah. sure if they were put together specifically for writing music for his films or 
if they were already together and he just sort of caught on to them. But there were these guys who I think he sort of found at um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the music school um, and, you know, they just were you know, phenomenal players you know, in, in the whole prog rock scene in Italy. Yeah. And they they wrote this incredible music for uh, for his films, and you know just as I said, the, the deep red music just uh, it it stayed in my head for years. It, it just wouldn't leave. It was in, you know, insanely memorable. So um, Goblin um, against all oh, odds, you know they they I don't know whether they never went away or they've reformed or whatever, but they're playing in Melbourne. Uh, really? In in November, yeah. Look, I, I'd read something that they, I think they played in uh, in Japan or, or you know, and maybe other parts of Europe over the last twelve months or something. And I didn't dare to hope that they would come here. But I don't even know if they're touring the rest of Australia. But we got something on called Melbourne Music Week, and mm-hmm. they're slated to play um, uh, as part of that. Uh, my best friend who I was talking to about off-air before, is um, a big horror film nut, and he loves the music of Goblin as well. I haven't told him yet, and I don't think he listens to the podcast, so it's you know, we're, I'm in no danger of him finding out, but I'm going to get his <laughs> tickets for uh, his birthday. We're going to go off to um, to see Goblin. Uh, nice. So I've been listening to the Deep Red soundtrack um, a lot over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just you know, um, I'm yeah, really very, very excited to be uh, going to see them. I, I don't care what they play, just... You know, they're phenomenal musicians. Mm-hmm. So, so that'll be uh, very, very exciting. I know that there have been some folks here who have been uh, very uh, parochial and thinking, you know, when I go to see Melbourne Music Week, I don't want to be hearing an Italian prog rock band. I want to hear local music. And I'm thinking, you know, settle down. You know, I mean, you know, I love local. I love to support the local music scene as much as anyone here. But, you know, great music is great music. And that's... Absolutely. You know, I, no, I don't... don't to that you know that band sold out because they're on a major label or whatever nah. you know, if you're good you're good if you're not you're not that's it you know it's all about the music it's all about the songs correct all right so i think at uh, the 33 minute mark what we might do is um have a little bit of a break actually oh I'm, I'm always leaving this late i should be doing this first thing um later on in the show we'll be having another segment from uh, eric reanimator his an album i love segment mm-hmm. and um the album that he's going to be talking about, the the music is a corker. Uh, this is from a Swedish band called The Soundtrack of Our Lives. And Eric's going to be talking about their album called Behind the Music. Um, through Eric's uh, recommendation of them, I sought out an album and found out that uh, a friend locally had it, much to my delight and surprise, uh, their latest album called Throw It to the Universe. And this is just wonderful, wonderful stuff. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, playing for you all um, Eric's segment talking about their album Behind the Music. So stick around for that. Uh, but that'll be uh, uh, later in the show after um, Ben and I have been through talking about all things kink air. Um, yeah. So um, what we might do is cut to a, a, a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll do a little bit of talk about um, all things the kinks. So you're listening to uh, Morris here in Melbourne, Ben over there in Los Angeles, and uh, we'll be back shortly. You're listening to Love That Album. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? 
Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Cicerese is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. We're back from break. Morris here, Ben over there. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 31, where we're going to be discussing the Kinks album from 1967 called Something Else by the Kinks. But before we do, let's just have a little bit of kinky talk. I've heard of um, phone sex... Oh, no, I can't make a joke out of that. Phone sex, kinky, Skype, abort, I don't know. Abort. abort. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I guess I want to ask you, what... What are your earliest memories of the Kinks? When was the first time you listened to the Kinks seriously? I mean, I presume that you know you probably heard "You Really Got Me" by Van Halen on the radio or something like that. Or, or what was your earliest memories of listening to the Kinks? Well, surprisingly, like uh, I didn't hear that much at home. Uh, my mom uh, is a huge fan of lots of great stuff from that era. She loves Bob Dylan. She loves the Who. She loves the Beatles, of course, and the Stones, and that Deep Purple and stuff like that. Hmm. But I don't. I don't really remember listening to any kinks uh, when I was a kid. Um, I think, I guess, just a lot of uh, oldies radio. I was a huge fan of oldies radio all through my teenage years and, you know, still am. So um, just heard a lot of, you know, uh, Tired of Waiting for You and All Day Out and All the Night, you know, They Got Me and all that stuff. And uh, probably about 20 years ago or so, I really started to get into you know, more, more deeply with, you know, their, their albums and stuff. Mm. And especially like the, the, for me, it's like the, the golden era of from face to face through like Muswell Hillbillies, all yes. those gr- great albums. Uh, fix, like I said, face to face, something else, village green preservation society, Arthur, uh, Lola versus power man and, and Muswell Hillbillies. Mm. And of course, Lola. Everyone knows Lola. It's a classic, and Nate Man. And um, I have to, I have to say, my uh, knowledge of their middle seventies, late seventies stuff is lacking. Uh, I love uh, Destroyer. It's a great song, uh, but uh, I feel like I need to get more into that that other period. That I just don't. I don't have as much uh, invested in. But for me, that sixty-seven through or sixty-six through seventy-one or so. They were on a run that is hard to top. You know, like you think of the great run that the Stones had during that same time, or of course the Beatles and the Who. Kings were right up there with the rest of them, just just not as on a big scale because they they weren't as popular. And I guess the songs are in in some ways a lot more personal, really. I mean, uh, the you know the the Kinks, sorry, the the Rolling Stones were uh, writing songs about mothers, little helpers, and. Um, and you, they, they were out there to burn your town as it was. Uh, and, you know, the Who were busy, you know, exploding speaker stacks and writing, 
rock <laughs> operas and and the like. They they wanted the big audiences. Uh, and, you know, the Beatles, I guess, were still sort of doing what they did in in uh, the studios without sort of venturing out. But you know, the, Ray Davies was writing songs about uh, London suburbanites and their strange, yes. quaint habits. I guess it was maybe. In some ways, I'm I'm just thinking about this now while talking about it. It's probably like an oral, a musical equivalent of Gary Larson's The Far Side. Now that you think of it, you know, it's sort of <laughs> looking at all these really quirky habits of of people. Yeah. I, mean, I think of you know great songs like Plastic Man and, um, you know, and, and Fashion. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. And look, yeah. the thing uh, you, you mentioned about the. Um, the 70s material, like you, I've not really delved that much into the 70s stuff. I mean, I've heard uh, uh, Preservation. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I'm embarrassed to say I've not actually sort of um, heard uh, Muswell Hillbillies, but I've heard Preservation you Act. you got to uh, hear, hear Muswell Hillbillies. Have you heard Arthur? I have, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've got, I've got everything through that sort of classic... Period, um, you know the the Pi Records stuff. So I've got everything through to uh, Arthur and Lola versus Punny Ma- uh, L- L- versus Power Man. Right. Um, uh, it's just as good. It's it's one that came right after Lola. Okay, right. Yeah. Now look, I've I've heard uh, the the preservation albums before uh, that came after uh, Muswell Hillbillies. I have um, an album that was like an anthology. I might have probably come out in the early 80s called Come Dancing. Yep. And, I mean, Come Dancing was probably, you know, that was the moment when they came back in the public eye and I remember hearing that song. And at that, at that age, I mean, I'm old enough when to remember this song when it came out as a top 40 hit. And, you know, before yeah, that, I- like you, I'd heard a few of the, 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 the singles but didn't really know anything about them as an album's band and... Um, I, I always love Come Dancing, but you know when when I, I got hold of that best of Come Dancing, which you know covered that seventies era, and I just don't like it. I really don't. Um, celluloid heroes and stuff, and and yeah, that doesn't really doesn't really do much for me. Um, I do I do love Come Dancing and uh, like Do It Again, like songs like that from the early eighties. Mm. You know, they had like a little bit of a revival, you know, that came along with uh, the punk rock stuff. Like bands like you know the Jam and the Pretenders and mm. um, they they really raised the profile of the Kinks and they had a little bit of a comeback with you know like I said like Do It Again and uh, but yeah the stuff that's in between there the middle seventies stuff I just don't get it I, I'm I'm tempted to go and uh, you know get a couple of those albums and maybe see what I can see but one criticism that I'd read that had been leveled at them whereas like in the sixties. Ray Davies' lyricism had uh, a lot owed to these quirky observations of um, human foibles and, and you know, the the behaviour patterns of his fellow Londonites. Right. Uh, but it seemed like he became increasingly cynical and even nasty in some of his 70s. I mean, I can't really say for sure, but that's one thing that I'd read um, I wouldn't about doubt a lot of the 70s material. And certainly from what I've heard on on uh, the Preservation Act 1 and Act 2 albums, uh, it certainly seemed... I mean, it, okay, it was a rock opera in Scots, but it certainly seemed to be fairly uh, mean-spirited. But I don't know if that was a one-off or not. Uh, that's to be expected. You know, if you hear the late 60s stuff like Mr. Pleasant 
like Plastic Man, uh, stuff like that. But that, that yeah. was more slightly mocking. They weren't. It, it they was, weren't stepping there, on there him. was a there was a quiet rage underneath all of that. Like mm. you could tell he was he was making fun of him, but he was also like you know t- turning his nose up and and quietly really angry at just what he saw was just you know. Um, you know, a foolish society. You know. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I, and and yet the irony was, I think that um, as we're going to discuss a bit later on in um, the something else uh, uh, analysis uh, the, with the song Two Sisters, he was as much a part of that, maybe reluctantly, but in a way, he was a part of that sort of everyday suburban society, and he'd certainly grown up as part of that everyday London. Uh, yeah. suburban society so he took as much comfort in that as when he chose to mock it and we can give specific song examples and talk about excerpts from uh, his his book x-ray and and what he was speaking about on the whole um x-ray re- book reading tour um so he, he mocked it but yet he also took comfort from that so it's I, I choose to believe that, yeah, look, songs like Plastic Man, I don't know whether I'd say there was a rage underneath, but he sort of maybe more of like a tisk 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 sort of thing rather than a, a full-on, you know, you're all idiots. I mean, there, there are a lot of artists out there who um, bite the hand that feeds them, I think, and they make fun of their, their suburban audiences, you know, hey, hey, you know, we're the guys out there who buy your tickets and buy your albums. Uh, I, I never get the feeling in those 60s kink songs that, that that's what Ray's doing, but certainly what I've read, the 70s, is where he um, decided to kick kick people in the balls, as it were. Yeah. Now, you were talking about how... Um, we were talking about how they were putting out material that's just as great as what The Who and, and The Stones were doing at the time, mm-hmm. They were less popular. There was a, a couple of reasons for that. Um, biggest one, I think, is that they were banned from touring in the U.S. during that time. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't just... remember the reason for that. I, I, I look, because I, I read Ray's book X-Ray maybe about ten years ago, and it goes into it in that. Uh, and I, I remember it, it was um, pretty distressing for him, but. I'm struggling to remember what the reason was. Do you you got the information there? Do you remember or know why that was? You know, I think it was. I I read it a while ago, and it seemed really contrived. Like it was totally didn't make any sense. Let's see here. I'm just uh, getting on the old Wikipedia here. Mm. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, let's see. I can't seem to find it. Oh, uh, look, yeah, well, anyway, so they, they were banned, but it's it's a strange phenomenon because you, you've got bands like The Who who are blowing stuff up on, on stage and all that, and that was considered exciting, and I don't think the Kinks are doing anything like that. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Um, let's see. After finishing, they're, they're playing... I don't know, they're fighting on stage. Um, following... Uh, yeah. following a, they, would, they would hurl their instruments at each other on stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, uh, it says following a mid-year tour of the United States, the American Federation of Musician of Musicians refused permits for the group to appear in concerts there for the next four years, effectively cutting off the Kinks from the main market of rock music at the height of the British invasion. 
Although neither the Kinks nor the Union gave a specific reason for the band, for the band at the time it was widely attributed to their rowdy onstage behavior. Christ, so, I mean, it wasn't Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey beating the stuffing out of each other. Yeah, they all those bands did that. Jesus. So, so yeah, I guess they just wanted to make an example of them. Who I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to read that X-ray book again and just see what uh, Ray himself has to say. I remember you know, thinking that was uh, quite a Quite a fun maybe goes in, maybe goes into more detail. Yeah, mm. that's that's ridiculous. There's just no reason whatsoever. Mm. I look. I got to um. So coming back to this whole suburban thing, um, I've gone and made a note here that I want to talk a little bit about uh, the X-ray tour. And he, um, uh, look, yeah, he he came to Melbourne. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe it was, it was certainly the early '90s. To um, uh, you know, read excerpts from the book and play some songs and to my eternal regret I didn't get to see him over he played at this beautiful little theatre here in Melbourne called the Athenaeum which is not a big theatre probably holds you know a couple of thousand of that so it would have been you know reasonably intimate mm-hmm. and uh, but I did get the CD that they put out after the tour uh, mm-hmm. obviously I think taken from various shows and some where he's playing music by himself and some songs where he's playing with a backing band and he tells the the story of you really got me and the little green amp you know he, he goes a lot into this um he, he goes into a lot of this thing where he talks about his home life with uh with dave and you know he had it really good because he grew up in a family of sisters and he was the only boy until dave came along uh, and he just remembers you know, everything going on in the front room of the house. And and he talks about the little green amp that he used to play and Dave used to play through. And uh, and, and to get this really cool, amazing sound, you know, he, he poked a knitting needle through the speaker cone. And that's the sound that they used to, um, to play uh, on You Really Got Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he talks with such affection about his home life, which sort of you know, makes it all the more confusing that he sort of got disparaging in in ways about um, ordinary Britain's suburban lives. But there's this one great story that he tells. I don't know if he's making this up, but he, he says, when they came to record You Really Got Me, and they get up to the guitar solo, He's looking at Dave, and Dave's looking at him, and they're thinking, "Wow, we're you know we're creating something really special." And he's looking at Dave, thinking that he's thinking the same thing. And Dave looks at him and just says, "Fuck off!" <laughs> and so you know, then um, Ray plays the song live for the audience as part of this show, but he's doing it in a more Delta bluesy sort of way, uh, mm. which was a really interesting take. I, I I love it. I love what he does. So when he gets to the guitar solo, the slide guitar solo, he's singing away and he's playing to the audience. He gets to the solo and he uh, he says to the audience, "Fuck off!" Um, doing a Dave. <laughs> uh, he, he even says, like, while he's telling this story, he says, "If you know, now it's on CD, you can listen. The sound quality is so much better than it was, and if you listen carefully, you can hear Dave saying that." And it's really embarrassing. And I've gone back and I've put on headphones, and I I can't hear it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think is he is he pulling our legs or or what? Yeah. But um, no, well, there's, there's some interesting stories on the, in that book and on that uh, live album. Yeah, well, that's one thing that the Kinks had that 
those other bands didn't have is where they had that contentious relationship between the two brothers and uh you know really i think it added a lot to the to the immediacy of their their sound back then for sure you know what that's just given me an idea i think you ought to do a top all-time top 10 uh fraternal or at least uh, relatives uh, really, the, the the possibilities are limitless. You've got your, your Finn brothers, your Gallagher brothers, your, mm-hmm. uh, your Davies brothers, the the, the Wilson sisters, uh, the Wilson brothers. Um, the possibilities are oh. endless, I'm sure. That's not, that's not a bad idea. I'm going to have to put that in my spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, so, anything else before we go to the album specifically? I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention was... Um, I guess besides talking about the suburban life, I think that the other thing that separated Ray Davies from these other, a lot of other songwriters was the humour that he wrote with. I mean, even when he was being a little bit disparaging, I mean, you've got um, uh, songs like Ape Man and Village Green, which I find you really, really funny. And they're they're still talking about London life, but in in a humorous way. Yeah. Um, you know, plastic man, which is mocking, is funny. Muswell Hillbillies has a bunch of those too. Um, Have a cup of tea, which is just a—it's a hysterical song. It's just talking about all the all the wonderful the things tea can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, so much of their stuff. There's a lot of songs off of uh, something else that we'll get to that are. Like Harry Rag is just hysterical to me. Yes. Uh, look, I should probably... I, I, I was going to leave this until um, we got to the album, talking about the album proper, but uh, I might as well mention it here. Uh, maybe the early 90s or something, something like that, when um, I think the uh, albums were being re-released with a whole bunch of bonus tracks. Uh, there, there was a, a show on one of our radio stations here in Melbourne, 3 R. It was a great show called uh, King Sounds, hosted by a guy called Jeff King, and like he just he'd do it, it was it was a, a mixture of things. It wasn't just uh, spe- specifying on one particular style or any particular albums. It's just whatever he felt like. But his taste was so broad and diverse, so he'd uh, just turn me onto a whole lot of music which I hadn't heard on on you know, commercial radio, or he, he might focus on. A particular album on one night. He just felt like talking about it. And on this one night, you know, back in the early 90s, he was talking about something else by the Kinks. Nice. And the first song, he said, well, that's going to be the focus for the next half hour. And the first song he played was Harry Rag. <laughs> and I laughed and laughed and thought, wow, what a great song. And that was my impetus for searching out that album was, was that song. And then got uh, rewarded. The song is irresistible. It is. It is. And it's, well, we shouldn't go into that now. We'll go into the album. But I just wanted to say that's how I sort of cottoned onto that, that album. But yeah, no, wonderful. Uh, one other thing, I, I just real, real quickly. Yep. Uh, one Another reason why they weren't as popular, I think, especially in the States, is because of the, of the subject matter. Like he, you know, Ray is talking about English social classes and stuff. And, and Americans can't really relate to that. So, um, most of the bands that were influenced by the Kinks mm. later on, you know, uh, the Jam, Blur, uh, like bands like the Arctic Monkeys, you know, kind of taking on that tradition of uh, mm. lamp- lampooning the English uh, you know, stuffiness and just the, you know, 
the way that society uh, is structured, it's, you know, that you could see why Americans would be like, you know, what is he talking about? You know? Yeah, but yeah, I, I always had this impression that Americans were, you know, fascinated uh, for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, but Americans were fascinated <laughs> with English. I am, life. but I, I, I have to say, I, I'm going to guess that the majority of Americans are not. Well, how do you, how do you explain Monty Python then? Well, that's just hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a, it's part of a very English tradition. It's, it's not, it's not the American style humor. At least it certainly wasn't at the time when they started out. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's more, yeah, I don't know, uh, but I, I feel like musically Americans just, you know, didn't catch on as much. A lot of it had to do with the band and touring as well, but yeah, that, that stuff, like, I think, Oasis is much bigger in the states than Blur is, and be, because they they sing about more universal themes than you know Blur is kind of picking apart English society. Yeah, so it's interesting you make that comparison because I know for years that uh, people sort of would say, well, you know, Oasis were like the Beatles and the and Blur were like the Kinks. So it's a, an interesting yeah. analogy there. Yeah. All right. Look, let's um, go to another quick break and then come back and talk about something else in um, some sort of level of detail. What do you reckon? Let's do it. All right. Okay, Morris here, Ben over there, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk about something else by the Kinks. You're listening to Love That Album. I had a great ass. I had the greatest ass in show business. So, you know, I didn't take it out on stage, um, but it was a tremendous, tremendous ass. So, but what, you know, I'd rather have a great ass than be an asshole. Yeah, it's um, it's just one of those phases, you know. It's like being at school. I was voted the best ass in the school, so it's just something that's followed me through life. <laughs> and we're back from break. Morris here, Ben over there, and we're talking today on Love That Album episode thirty-one about the Kinks album, Something Else. Actually, I think well, the album is called Something Else by the Kinks. That's so, correct. Uh, to, That's be, the to be to be properly, so to put this in perspective, I mean we've already gone and spoken. I don't remember if we recorded this or we we're talking off here, but we we're talking about what other bands were big at the time and how creatively 1967 was a fantastic place to be for the music listener. So yeah. you know the other album, you know a few of the other albums that came out that year. Axis Boulder's Love, <laughs> Sergeant Pepper, mm-hmm. Forever Changes by Love. The who, the who Sellout. The Who Sellout, which I have to say is my favorite Who album. It's um, brilliant. And yeah. what a great creative time. And not uh, to mention all this, all this great stuff coming out of Motown and Stacks. Oh, know. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, just. Really, I mean, when when uh, when people go around saying, "Oh, they're not making music like they used to," and, and you know, nineteen sixty-seven is a good case in argument. Um, yeah, look look at the uh, look at the top ten or the, the top one hundred songs of this of two thousand eleven, and then look at the top one hundred songs of nineteen sixty-seven, hmm. and you'll cry because <laughs> the, the quality of of music back then was is unbelievable especially mm-hmm. compared to today like it's, a, it's it's there's no argument yeah look i i think well look you know what the, the point 
case I've gone and made with a lot of people trying to be trying to defend music of today, although it's it's difficult for me, and uh, certainly I'm not listening to a whole lot of new stuff. But I, I guess it's a matter of. Uh, where the music was. I still think there's a lot of amazing music being made today, but you know, back in 1967, it was the mainstream. Nowadays, yeah. it's... You have like, to find... You, you have to search to find it exactly. So, you know, I think I think you know, like a, a, a modern band like Wilco is as great as any band from, from that era. I absolutely love them. And, and their last album, The Whole Love, is just an amazing, phenomenal album. One that I... I I want to cover on the show, but I just don't understand what any of the words mean. Uh, but you know, I think that you know, they're they're as amazing as any band from from that era. And you know, we discussed Red Cross earlier on, but they're not part of the 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 general public consciousness. Whereas you know, all those years ago, they were you know, Hendrix and you know, the Who and the Band and Dylan were you know everyone listened to them. Yeah, it's a. Uh... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad in a way. So, but, but look, but even for the day, because I guess of everything that we've been talking about till now about you know Ray Davies writing about suburban life, even with those albums as great as they were, and but they were all individual. But it would be fair to say that there was nothing like something else by the Kinks um, no. on on the scene, because um, it, it, it was a mixture of Rock music, uh, traditional, uh, British music hall type music. And really, who else would be brave enough to do that? Um, they, you know, we spoke before about him, you know, Ray Davies turning his back on and mocking the scene. And yet, you know, he's very much a traditionalist. You know, he's, when he's playing these music hall type songs, it's not to be disparaging about it. He, I think he looked on that style of music with, with a lot of great affection, um, and like the uh, the early Kings, of, I, I guess like the other what they call the British Invasion bands, they had maybe a, a similar sort of transition. You know, they like you know, the early Beatles album, well, maybe not so much the early Beatles albums, but the early uh, Beatles performances from you know Hamburg and Liverpool you know, the, uh, and the early Stones records. They'd grown up on a diet of uh, American R&B and like um, uh, Chuck Berry and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And yeah, well, Ray Davies had gone and made note in the X-ray book, and he's gone and said in public many times that his big hero was Big Bill Brunsey, uh, <laughs> and, and like those you know early couple of Kinks albums. Um, it's a lot of R&B stuff, and this is pretty far removed from that. So it was interesting to see. Uh, their development and, and the songwriting craft that, um, Ray had, uh, he'd really grown as a great lyricist and these songs that, that really just completely stuck in your head. Yeah. Um, so to the album itself, let's speak about, you know, the first, the first track on the album. We're talking about his sense of humor and. Right. Uh, David Watts. David Watts. Well, let's let's have a bit of a listen to a clip from David Watts. I am a dull and simple lad. Cannot tell water from champagne. 
as I mentioned before, I'd read uh, Ray's um, autobiography, X-Ray, some years ago, and I remember him mentioning David Watts in there, but once again, because it's been so long, I can't remember in what context. So I had to do a little bit of a net research thing just to sort of find out, you know, how did David Watts come into the, the scene? And it seems that he was a concert promoter. Yeah, who, he was a real person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember they, they said that in the book, but I remember something about an army colonel being member, but I can't remember in what context, but I'm wondering whether, you know, he, that was like a little bit of fictitious license that he, that he made, but, but it said here um, that uh, he'd been a concert promoter who'd made a pass at Ray uh, at Dave Davies, and right, um, you know, and, and presumably as well, he was something what the Brits like to call a toff uh, that inspired the uh, uh, the a character toff. a toff, you know, someone who's um, uh, who, who's uh, rich and fancy, the upper crust of society. But you know, when you, you call someone a toff, it's it's disparaging. It's not like, um, oh, they're wealthy. That's a good thing. It's, um, oh, he's he's a bit of a, he he's posh. He's he's a toff, right? Um, he's a bit of a dandy. He's a dandy. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and there's so, there's a line, there's a line in the song that because uh, I never really thought about it before I read that David Watts was a real person and that he was he was gay and he, he was uh, you know making passes at Dave Davies. Um, I thought. It was kind of a, a simple song, just about like class jealousy. You know, I wish I could be like David Watts because he has all this great stuff and I don't have it. Well, but- it's, ostensibly that is what the song is about. But you know, there's a couple of like. I mean, he, he says he is so gay and fancy free, and I think you know there was the double entendre. That was the uh, Fred Astaire gay and fancy free. But I think there's definitely yeah, yeah, something of the. Uh, well, I kind of I kind of passed it off as, as that, and also there. But but then I, I'm now that I know that I'm reading the lyrics, and there's the the last uh, the last part. He says, uh, "All the girls in the neighborhood try to go out with David Watts. They try their best, but can't succeed because for he is a pure and noble breed." Yes, yes, you know? indeed. Now, now I'm looking at that line, going, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Bing. The uh, the pennies dropping after now. Yeah, um, uh, this song the song was. Uh, Covered by the Jam in yes, that's right. Yep. It's a great cover. Mm. We're going to do on my show. We're going to do all time top ten cover songs, and that's going to have to be a two parter as well. Like there's going to have to be. There's so many. Um, I, think, I think you could really do like a whole podcast based on that. A whole series. Uh, yeah. a, whole, a whole series of you know, just um, just talking about great covers. That's that's not a one two part show. That's you could yeah make a whole thing out of that for sure. Um, but uh, I'm I'm thinking about adding uh, uh, David Watts, the, the jam version of David Watts to that mm, for sure. Mm. This song brings me in mind of a show uh, that Michael Palin of the Python team did after the Pythons called Ripping Yarns. I don't know if you ever saw that in the States? No. Um, we've seen, I've seen Faulty Towers. You know? Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's a worldwide phenomenon. But uh, no, yeah. th- this is uh, a show that, uh, Michael Palin put together, and it's sort of, once again, very, very English, um, and a combination of, I guess, you know, his take on early British films and what they used to call boys' own annuals, um, mm. which uh, you know, they're sort of, um, sort of uh, great short stories and comics of of. Uh, um, Great British war heroes and people doing all sorts of uh, acts of daring do and 
yeah. I believe, you know, they were very popular in uh, in England in the 50s and the 60s. And so Ripping Yarns, his show is a bit of a take on that. And I think he made a couple of seasons worth on that. And they're all self-contained stories. And one of the episodes was a thing called Tompkinson's School Days. And you just sort of remember, I just remember that it was, um, it was set in this school and this character Tompkinson was, you know, the head prefect of the school and not only the school kids who would have to bow down and worship at his feet and he'd call them maggots and scum. Uh, but even the teachers would be paying him graft and corruption because he was really the head of the school. So I, I read you know, like these lyrics. He is, um, uh, here's the head boy at the school. Here's the captain of the team. And it just put me in mind of that, uh, Michael Palin show. Uh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure any of, any of the Australian listeners and any of the uh, British listeners will be well familiar with, uh, ripping yarns and hopefully that episode in particular. But if, uh, you're in the States and you haven't sort of watched this, I, I don't know whether you'll get it or not, but it is really quite funny. It's not like Faulty Towers, a, a world away from that in its style of humor but very very funny in its own right there was a one episode absolutely hysterical uh set in um a a prisoner of war camp all these british prisoners and they're all trying to escape and um you know michael palin's playing this character who's always coming up with these really terrible schemes that never work and then (laughs) the war is over and all the soldiers get liberated but he closes the door to the camp because he is going to escape his way and he's built this plane out of toilet rolls um, <laughs> and he dies there and he becomes the only man to never have escaped from from this from this prisoner of war camp i do i do love me some michael palin oh, and, you'll, uh, you'll love this it's very funny i i can't get enough british humor so no well we, so we've we digressed but but that was um that's what anyway that uh that song David Watts reminded me of very, very English um, and uh, very boys' own ripping yarns sort of thing. And yeah, you're right; it is a it is a class struggle. But there is it, there it, is it more sort going of reminds on. Reminds me of uh, Richard Corey by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Oh well. yes, a little bit, but it's not. It's it's a lot more funny, obviously. Yeah, that's that's not a funny song. No, um, not especially the end. Not, not I mean, look, uh, what I was going to say uh, about this. I mean, we mentioned a, a fair bit about the lyrics. But musically, uh, what I love about this, because, you know, well, you know, you and I being um, a rhythm section, not one that works together, but a rhythm section, um, this song really shows the strengths of Pete Quaife and Mick Avery as a rhythm section. And I've tried to explain to non-musicians the whole concept of tight but loose. And really, I think this is a song that, if you if you want to explain to them what it means, this is what it means. They are so perfectly in sync, and yet it doesn't it sound over the yeah. top tight. It's it's just they know what they're doing, and yet it's so flowing. What they're doing in this, it's just they they really develop a feel for the pretty, song. It's a pretty underrated rhythm section. Those two, oh, absolutely, Avery, yeah, but. Uh, Love me some David Watts. Mm, no, great tune. All right, look, let's uh, move on to uh, the next track on the album. Uh, this, the next song is Death of a Clown. Nobody needs 
I love Death of a Clown. I think uh, it's the best thing that Dave Davies ever did. But, the, um, the, the, one, the one that I really love, I think my favorite of his songs is um, uh, Strangers on um, Lola oh, vs. Punny Man. He wrote Strangers. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's a that's a Dave Dave Davies song. I, 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 uh, I might I might be uh, I might have to change my vote then. <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's a great that, song. That is a brilliant, brilliant song. Mm. Um, but this was uh, really Dave Davies' uh, coming out party as a songwriter. Um, he he co-wrote it with Ray, but uh, it was actually it actually came out as a Dave Davies single because mm. you know, a, a solo uh, track first before it was on something else by the Kinks, mm. and uh, it became it was a number three hit, and um, it was so successful that he considered going solo for a while. <laughs> Um, I know it's kind of laughable to think about now. Yeah, but, uh, when, you, when you get to a song like "Funny Face," which we'll say later, we'll talk about later on. I think it's probably a good move that he uh, decided hey, to not do that. Hey, come on, fun, "Funny Face" is all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> terrible. No, uh, "Wicked Annabella." That's the other one I was thinking of. All oh, right, yes, yes. Yeah, I love that song. But um, anyway, "Death of a Clown." Um, I, I love it. The um, that haunting vocal in the chorus that la, 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 la. now that was that ray's part. wife wasn't it raza yeah and there's something just really gives me the chills about that part um and the, the lyrics though are uh they're pretty funny they're, you know? it's very bob dylan inspired isn't it it is yeah the, the old fortune teller lies dead on the floor nobody needs fortunes told anymore mm, mm. it's the trainer of insects is crouched on his knees and frantically, frantically looking, looking for, for runaway fleas. Runaway fleas, yeah. Just you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm surprised. I was surprised to, to learn that it was a Dave Davies song. I mean, I knew he sang it, but I didn't know he wrote it. Because you know, look, to be honest with you, I'd be interested to know, and we'll we'll probably never will find out what much ha, ha, who wrote how much of it because it is a Ray and Dave. Co-write and, and does have a lot of that Ray wit to it. It certainly know? does, and and you know when, especially when you take an. I'm not saying that you know Dave didn't sort of develop as a songwriter later on, but when you consider that his other two offerings on this album, they're they're not quite no. like this. So I, it definitely not has more the Ray touch. Yeah, I maybe Dave that, came up with that that uh, that um, that little refrain that you just so beautifully sang for us <laughs> yeah I mean, he probably wrote the music and then maybe the just the idea of a clown you know uh the the, the broken down circus and just how sad it is but it's also i don't i don't i don't even know how to describe it but um so some of those so, so many of those lyrics are just too i think they're just a little too clever for dave yeah yeah at, so, at least uh, at least around the time of this album yeah, in, in and that, like I said, we'll never, we'll probably never know. But uh, either way, it, it's a great song. It's a great uh, follow-up to David Watts. It's you know like the one-two punch of those two songs really sets the table for the rest of the album. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think this would sort of make a um, a nice uh, double with uh, "Ballad of a Thin Man." I guess you know, thinking of the Ooh. whole circus theme. Yeah, I never even thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah good. Oh well, there you go. You like it? It's yours. Uh, <laughs> I so, will uh, run with it. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a great song. I, I love that um, whole uh, upright piano 
motif that they that they use. I I love it in a in a rock song where they deliberately stylistically go for an upright piano, and I think it's got the tax on it as well. Yeah. Well, saloon saloon sound. It's not piano. It's piany. Piany. Play some piany. <laughs> kind of an old west kind of sound. Yes. No, I'm I'm crazy about that. So yeah, that's um, yeah, it, it's a lovely melody and and. And Dave's gruff voice, because it's you know we got Ray's gentle, you know smooth sort of voice. I often sort of thought that you know Ray's voice didn't really suit you know you really got me or all day or all of the night. I'd love to have heard Dave on lead vocals for that because he had that more gruff, more rock and roll voice than rock and roll than, for sure than, than Ray did. And uh, when he's singing on this, it's a bit of a revelation. I I really like what he does on this. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um have a bit of a chat about uh, the next song on the album, Two Sisters. So then I looked into her mirror Priscilla looked into the washing machine And the drudgery of being wed She was so jealous of her sister And her liberty and her smart young friend was so jealous of her sister. So Bella looked into the wardrobe. Priscilla looked into the frying pan and the bacon and eggs and the breakfast dessert. She was so jealous of. I've often had uh, a bit of a fondness for uh, songs that use the harpsichord. Yeah, I was just going to mention. Like, I mean, right off the bat the first thing that catches your ear is that harpsichord and mm. it, it's, it fits so perfectly in this song. I mean, look, three other songs I can think of from that era that had used the harpsichord were For No One by the Beatles on Revolver. Mm-hmm. The Rolling Stones play with fire, I'm pretty sure that's using a harpsichord. Yes. And the Yardbirds song For Your Love. Oh, uh, you forgot a great one though. Which one? You forgot Walk Away Renee by The Left Bank. Oh, no, see, I'm only familiar with Four Tops version. Oh my God, the Left Bank—they they did the original version of it. Actually, yeah. sorry to change this. Have you heard the uh, the Billy Bragg version? No. Oh, you, no. you should check. I mean, it, it's not—he's not really singing. He's playing the melody and he's telling this very funny story over the top of it. But um, anyway, no, sorry, go on, Left Bank. Oh, just well, the the, uh, the main songwriter for the Left Bank—I forget his name now—but uh, he wrote the song about the. Bass player's girlfriend Renee. He mm. was obsessed, obsessed with her. Oh wow! And, yeah, and I guess he was only fifteen at the time, but uh, he was obsessed. And they said that, uh, and her name was actually Renee, so they didn't even try to hide it. it kind of, <laughs> and and uh, she was in the studio when he was trying to, when he was, they were recording it, and they said that he couldn't even play his part because he was, he was like, he was crying because he was so much in love with this girl. Good lord. Um, so how do you think how do you think uh, uh, Eric Clapton would have been if he would have written the song called Patty instead of Layla? I know, <laughs> or, or or if if she was in the studio while they were recording, it yeah. just would would have been too much to bear. Yeah, so it was kind of like that. Anyway, that's a that's a brilliant uh, harpsichord song as well. Mm, so. mm. It's it, it, I love that regal sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's it's. Actually, I want to say top ten songs with harpsichords. There's another topic for you. Um, <laughs> look, I believe you know, Ray had suggested in, you know, himself that this was P- 
partly you know his feelings about Dave. Um, you know, in, right. In this song, you know, we we hear the the story of uh, these two sisters. You know, uh, Priscilla is you know domestically ensconced and is jealous of you know, uh, the free life of um, of her sister. And you know, Ray was married with a child and was jealous of Dave being able to go out to nightclubs and run around as he pleased. And but at the end of the song, uh, Priscilla he- takes stock and realizes that you know being a mother is is better than the aimless running around that her sister's been doing um but i I love the progression of the song you know verse one you got uh looked into her mirror uh priscilla looked into her washing machine oh what a great (laughs) opening pair of lines you looked into her washing machine yeah and uh what was that oh the, the part about how she did she just felt not not free you know she felt tied down by her life she threw away She'd throw away her dishes just to be free again. Mm. Put the children in the nursery just to be free again. You know, I, was that the last line? I don't no, know. That's anyway, a, that, that's in the, that's in the last. Word, but it's saying everything oh, that the, she'd done to that point. She'd thrown away her dirty dishes. She'd put the children in the nursery. Then Priscilla saw her little children and then decided she was better off uh, what, than than the wayward lass that her sister had been. No longer jealous of her sister. So right. and. Yeah, really, I think as much as we've gone and described about everything disparaging that Ray had gone and had gone and written later on about um, about you know, maybe ordinary Londoners or something like that, but yet I think he's singing here or writing with real affection. Right. That's uh, where, especially that last verse, he comes around. And he's like, "This isn't such a bad way to live." You know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's substance to as opposed to what Dave was doing you know like he was just he was having fun but that's all it was look I I just come back to that opening line and I think it's really a clever thing that you use a consumer item like a washing machine it it could have been anything but you know uh, Silvella's looking into the mirror because that's her reflection this narcissistic sort of thing and you know Priscilla looks into the washing machine, but any consumer item, it's a powerful image for domesticity. Um, I just think he was really onto a winner. I, I, I imagine that he probably was lying in bed, that line came to him, and he probably jumped out of bed and had to... He was develop, like, yes! I've got a song here, I've got a song here, and it's going to say all about how much I hate Ray, uh, how much I hate Dave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can do it without him knowing. Yeah. I'm sure Dave caught on pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. probably also the fact that they were probably smacking the shit out of each other didn't didn't help or hurt or whatever. They, but they did it with love. They're brothers, <laughs> of course, like all great rock and roll brothers. Exactly. Great song. Great song. Mm. All right, let's um, let's go on to uh, uh, the next song on the album. This is called No Return. If I could see just how lonely my life would be If you passed me by and said farewell And then it's lonely to start 
I don't know about you. Did were you ever into the whole Gilberto Carlos Jobim thing? You know, I kind of recently just got into some of that bossa nova stuff. Mm. Uh, as to Gilberto, her her voice is so charming, mm. and the music is so it's so. I don't know. Don't yeah. I think you have to be from Brazil to really <laughs> get it down perfectly, because I've heard the you know. I mean, like we're talking about No Return. It has that feel to it. Yes. Uh, look, um, I'd say I mean, that that mid '60s period wasn't there. Like, uh, I don't know if it was a fashionable thing, but it certainly seemed that you know uh, Gilberto and Robin were quite popular. And I remember it, there's even that scene in um, in uh, the Peter Souls film, The Party, where that um, that uh, woman sings a, a song in that style. So it must have been like a fairly trendy thing yeah. at the time kind of like in the mid 90s there was that lounge period where everyone suddenly liked old old lounge music mm. um and then ever and then everyone liked old like the big band music like big bad voodoo daddy and the yep, cherry pop yep. just in the states they did it was, it was a it was a weird fad it just lasted about a year the brian setzer orchestra mm. um i think uh yeah i guess that was just in the air at the time you know uh the girl from ipanema all that stuff yep 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 and uh, yeah, this this song, it's it's aping that style. Um, but you know, like I said, I think you have to be from Brazil to really get it perfect because it's it's not quite there. Yeah. Um, well, Mick, Mick Avery's brushwork is not, you know, strictly speaking, you know, bossa, uh, but it, it it still sounds fine to me anyway. But it's a, I, it's, I, a nice, I, it's a nice homage. Yes. Yes. Um, look, I, I got to say, I was never into the real thing as it were was of um, you know. Bosanova, but I do like this song. Uh, it, it, it's this gentle feel, and um, even even with Ray's vocal delivery, and you know, I was talking about before Dave having that great sort of rock and roll delivery, but Ray's more gentle breathe breathing sort of singing delivery works perfectly here. Yeah, Dave can never sing this song. No, it just it just would it would sound terrible. I and wonder yeah. whether it'd be Ray or Dave who'd be playing that gut strung guitar on this because it's that's really nice. Mm, it's probably Dave. Dave is a great guitar player, you know. He very, was. Oh, he's... Yeah, he's you know, not many people when they think of the great guitar players, if they think of Dave, but listen to a lot of the stuff he does. It's uh, it's understated, but it's it's great. I bet you that's him there. Mm-hmm. I, I guess this song. There's probably a couple of songs which, I mean, don't necessarily fit in thematically with the rest of the album, and this is one of those couple of songs. You know, this is not you know the Ray, typical sardonic Ray Davies commentary on Mr. and Mrs. England sitting home around the telly on a Sunday night eating fish and chips uh, yeah. to a bossa nova beat. Um, but, well, that's, the, that's the thing about uh, covering something else about the, uh, by the Kings rather than doing uh, Village Green is that it, something else isn't really a concept album. You know, It's just no. a collection, collection of songs. And, and yet a lot of the songs are... I guess you know this is where he was really developing. I mean, maybe a bit earlier on face to face, but sort of he really hit the ground running here with uh, these little stories of suburban life. But he didn't take it like not everyone, like on Village Green or or on Lola versus uh, Power Man, or, or certainly not on Arthur, which was full on. Um, yeah, that was that a sort of and it's all about Australia. Well, partly, yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. His uh, sister had moved here, hadn't she? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but no, but this is still a lovely song. I mean, it's it's I guess a little bit more filler than anything, but it is for all of that. It's still you know, Ray Davies filler is uh, still you know, streets ahead of a lot of other people's A game <laughs> material. So um, yeah, the song itself is is sort of forgettable, but just the sound I love. You know, I just like what they did with it. Well, I just imagine you know, as you say that this was. You know, possibly because it was in the air i'm just wondering if he was saying i wonder if i can write a song like this yeah let's see what happens and this is what he came up with yeah i think he might be onto something there mm. all right well let's go on to um, another song that i know we're both passionate about this is harry rag <laughs> This is the song that really turned my head towards this album in the first place years ago. And I never thought that you could write a humorous song about nicotine addiction. I mean, that sounds like a real contradiction in terms. And once again, I'm wondering whether the whole American-British thing worked there. Because, okay, so we we have this thing like in, in Australia and in uh, and in England called rhyming slang. I don't know, do you... Do you have anything similar like that over there where you use two words to no. infer something else? I, I, I know what you're talking about, uh, but I don't think that's really a, something they have over here. Okay. Nothing not I could think of. You know, there's like the uh, tunes thing. People are calling tunes tunes for some reason. That's a, definitely a British or Australian thing. I don't know. We, uh, us here in the States, we don't really do that. No. As far as I know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not hip to... Uh, what the kids are up to these days. <laughs> you're, not, you're not jiggy with it. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> wish I hadn't said that. Um, you, you said it, I didn't say it. No. Um, okay, so uh, this... Uh, so for any of you American listeners out there who might not be aware of the, the phenomenon of rhyming slang, is, you, know, you take two words which have nothing to do with what it is that you're implying, but the second word has got to rhyme with the word that you're actually inferring. So here, Harry Rag is rhyming slang for fag, which is, as we were talking about the word gay before, actually used to mean something else. Um, That's that's why the album is called Something Else. Um, (laughs) But Harry Rag, short for uh, rhyming slang for fag, which meant a cigarette. And that's why this, so this song is about nicotine addiction. So he's not singing, you know, so-and-so has to have a fag. They have to have a Harry rag. Yeah. And they don't, they don't care if they don't have any money as long as you got enough to buy a Harry rag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, music is a funny thing. When, when I first heard this song on the radio, you know, 20 years ago on, um, on this program, King Sounds, I was telling you about before. Yeah. Um, what drew me in was not so much the lyrics, but as funny and clever as they are, but 
this is really the first song on the album that has that British musical style. It, it, it's sort of a mixture of Mick Avery's military style drumming <laughs> a, a, along with uh, British musical style. And it's kind of silly, yeah. Mm, mm. Oh, I, I just, I, I love it, but it's you know him acknowledging uh, British music history that went beyond, you know, the, the previous few years. You know, saying British music did not start with Cliff Richard. You know, he's going back to a, a long and rich tradition. You know, for, uh, well, not going quite as far to classical. Uh, not, but you know, 20th century British music, yeah. and uh, you know the, the musical. Harry Rag reminds me of like an old drinking song. Oh, completely! You know? I can imagine you know people sort of standing <laughs> around the, the upright piano and singing this on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that you sing later on in the evening when you've had a few. And uh, I, I did. We did an episode on all-time top ten of uh, top ten songs about alcohol, mm. but we. We're gonna do a separate one where it's songs to drink to, like oh, so, yeah. songs, songs that are would be are good to drink to. And this, I think this one might be on mine just because <laughs> I'm just picturing like a bunch of guys with pints in their hands, just yes. Harry Rag. <laughs> it's uh, it's got that feel to it. I don't know if you've heard um, an album by the Who called Odds and Sods. Yes. Um, I mean, I've got both the vinyl, which was like about a. 10 or 11 track album uh, but when the CD came out it had uh, extra tracks it had a, a shitload of extra tracks you know John Entwistle had really gone back into the vaults and I think it's like a 25-26 song album mm-hmm. and there's a song on it it's quite ironic called Little Billy that uh, Townsend oh. went and wrote for whatever the British equivalent was of the Anti-Cancer Council um, yes I love sing, that to sing about the evils of smoking um, you know, it was you know quite ironic because they were all smokers. <laughs> this song, it's not so much well, certainly not anti-smoking, and it's, I wouldn't even necessarily say that the other end that it's a celebration of smoking either. It's just just these little stories. And one thing I also got to mention, and this might even be a good all-time top ten subject. If you'd have to sort of like, you know do your research and find out about this, but there's I love a song where every verse is a separate story. I mean, there are mm. obvious songs like, you know, Bob Dylan's Hurricane, which is one story in, in itself. But um, I, I love songs like this or uh, Needle and Thread by Richard Thompson, which mm. every verse is a separate little um, vignette, uh, or, but all linked with one theme, which yeah. comes up in the chorus. On the Arthur album, the, they had, there's that song, She's Got a Hat Like Princess Marina. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of those two, isn't it? Uh, I think so. I think so. Uh, the second she talks about the guy who's got something, he's got like a new bag that makes him feel like a lord or something. I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Dylan's got a bunch of those too. Uh, Desolation Row. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Dylan was a specialist in that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a nice little uh, idea. I'm gonna have to steal that one from you. So, um, well, well, I, I I bequeath it to you, but you've got to invite me on for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's a catch. There's always a catch. Um, no, so but yeah, so look, let's let's 
talk about a, you know, a couple of the, the verses. So you sing the Tom is young and Tom is bold. Tom is bold as the knights of old. But whenever he gets in a bit of a jam, there's nothing he won't do to get a Harry rag. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, later on in the song, ah, bless you, tax man, bless you all. You may take some, but you'll never take it all. But if I give it all and I won't feel sad as long as I have enough to buy a Harry rag. So every... <laughs> So yeah, the the link is the the addiction to nicotine rather. You know, uh, uh, I don't know why it makes me laugh too that there's parts where there people are boasting and bragging because they got a hairy rag. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I, I was thinking. And they like what? I've, I've got a I've got a cigarette. Aren't, no, look at me, aren't I great? But um, in 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 some way, people some ways people do that when they when they're outside smoking. They're like, look at me, you know, so. Yeah. I tend to think it's more like the 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 fifteen year olds who shouldn't be starting up. They're the ones who are boasting and bragging about it, mm-hmm. as opposed to the people who several years down the track with the wish you know, they could quit. trying to cough up their lungs first thing in the morning. Um, Saying, "Damn, I wish I could quit." Yeah. <laughs> um, I, also, I, 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 I know a few people that smoke that that don't wish they could quit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I was I, sort of hoping the world was turning up. against that way, but. Yeah, I, I went through that myself. I haven't had one in twelve years. So, congratulations! It's easier when you live in Los Angeles because it's hard to you can't really smoke anywhere out here. So, I, I was I was sort of I mean, look, I've not been in Los Angeles, but I flew. Well, I flew into LA airport, like coming from San Francisco, LA airport, then flying back home, and. I don't know the, the the level of pollution that I saw over the city made me think you wouldn't need you, you you could never put a cigarette in your lips and you'd still be like a five pack a day guy. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a sad truth. Yeah. Uh, come on out in the winter though, when after it rains, it's beautiful. All okay. it wash, washes away all the smog. All right, so that but yes, that's a that's a nice little bit of uh, humor and and whimsy on the uh, on the album and. Um, I love it. Yeah, look, I, I just. It, it's really well constructed, you know, the, the, from the musical perspective, the historical music hall thing, and this whole humorous thing about people with nicotine addiction. Just very, the, very funny. Just, just little extra things like that. Hey, you know that. that yes, like, yes. <laughs> it just, it just puts a big smile on my face. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on to uh, the next song on the album. Tin Soldier Man. <laughs> Soldier Man is uh, one of the first one of the first of uh, Ray Davies' uh, anti-war songs, anti-military. Arthur is chock full of those songs. Brainwashed, mm. Mr. Church, 
Mr. Churchill says. Yes. You know, a lot of those. Some mother's son. You know, Tin Soldier Man is it's a kind of a skating look. It, it, besides being anti anti military, uh, more more so, it's kind of a skating look at British stuffiness, I guess. Look, um, you know what? It's it's interesting my- you take that that take on it being an anti war song. I had no war connection to this at all. I'll, I'll tell you my take was that, uh, first of all, I thought this song actually belongs in Mary Poppins. It could easily be a song that George Banks uh, is singing, you know, about how, it would be about him, how diligent he is, and he goes to his job every day. And this is, this to me, this is a song about the uh, the workforce, that, you know, soldier-like, what, uh, makes their way to the railway station and they they don't have a gun, they have an umbrella and they they don't have a helmet, they have a bowler hat and uh, it, it's that sort of um, stereotype image of the stiff upper lip uh, British guy who, who's making his way to work. So I think it, it, he's part of the, uh, uh, the workforce army rather than the literal army. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a way, another way to look at it. Um, I like how he he has a tin baby too. Mm, yes, <laughs> yes. tin baby too, and it seems like the, the most important thing in this per in this person's life is to have it, make sure his uniform is tidy. You know, yes. he's got to keep up appearances. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a uh, yeah. I guess I guess you might be onto something there. Mm, mm. Well, he um, I guess along with Harry Rag, you know, uh, these um. Uh, the, uh, basically, as we've been discussing all along, you know, Ray sort of figured that you know British folks post World War Two were you know, they were a big subject of fascination for him, and he loved to poke his finger, you know, initially in a gentle way, and then got a lot, you know, more with the, the whole fist later on. But you know, songs like you know, dedicated follower of fashion and dandy and autumn almanac and dead end street. I love uh, dandy. Otherwise. Oh yeah, great, great tune. Um, but you know, well, so well we're, we're, oh, sorry, go on. Well-respected man too. Yes, yes, Plastic Man. Um, I can't believe that song got banned by the BBC because they okay. used the word they used the word bum. Oh God! Teeth and guns and going up to his plastic bum. And that was banned by the BBC. How the times have changed! You just imagine what they make of uh, the the two live crew. God. <laughs> um, yeah. But so, but the thing that I find interesting, even though he's poking the finger, I mean, uh, the the whole 1967 thing we've already discussed. You know, the whole summer of love, and you know there was discontent in all parts of the globe, and you know, songwriters were writing songs of rebellion. But this was, I guess, Ray's song of rebellion. This is his way of writing a song of rebellion. I mean, the, the traditional way of screw you, older generation, we're not going to take it. Well, that's not his way because, like, you know, he he grew up so, in a quite comfortable, happy, middle-class environment. But... Yeah. He's, um, too clever. He's too clever for that anyway. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so, you know, this song is you know, not particular story development, but it's just his way of sort of, um, as I said, the whole George Banks, Mary Poppins thing. I don't think he looks on that with any affection, but he... Uh, Musically, I feel like this song could fit right into something like Mary Poppins too. Yes, definitely. It's got the trumpet and it's you know it's the marching beat. And yes, definitely. And, and it's, it, yeah, the the whole 
It's very whimsical. Definitely. Uh, so immaculately dressed when he walks like a soldier on parade. I mean, it's... it's it's called, I mean, like Harry Rag had that sort of uh, snare drum military precision, but this definitely does have a, a marching feel yeah. about it, for sure. So, yeah, there you go, your, um, your workforce army. There you go. As it was, so. mm. All right, let's move on to uh, the next song. Oh, oh, did you have anything more you want to say about that one? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay, so the next song of the album is called Situation Vacant. Satisfied. He went and bought the weekly classified All for peace and quiet sake Johnny's got no money, got nowhere to go Johnny's in a good thing Susie's separated, living with mom Little mama satisfied You, Ben, were you uh, ever a fan of the band Squeeze? Yes, and in fact, I kind of been getting into them more and more lately. I've always loved, you know, Tempted and mm. uh, you know, Coffee and Black Coffee in Bed and all that. Mm. Um, but I recently got their uh, one of their anthology, and it has some of my favorite songs. Goodbye, Girls, great. Yes. Um, what's the one? Uh, Up the Junction. Up the Junction. Well, um, it's interesting you mentioned that one because yeah. I think up the junction, I reckon uh, Difford and Tilbrook must have heard Situation Vacant as <laughs> some sort of um, inspiration for, for uh, up the junction. I mean, it's, the story's not quite the same, but the circumstances are similar. You know, in both songs, we've got uh, a working class couple who are finding it difficult to uh, keep their heads above water, uh, where in up the in up the junction, you know, she gets pregnant, she leaves him, and all he's left with is the telly. Um, <laughs> in this one, you know, this this uh, working class couple, they're finding it hard to make ends meet. But you know, he's got a job, and they're sort of doing all right. But the meddling mother-in-law comes into That's the picture, and and I think in in this song, the protagonist um, is a lot more neutered than in the, up the junction. Definitely. <laughs> This yeah. guy seems like someone who just gets pushed around by everyone. He's pushed around by his his wife. He's pushed around by his mother in law. And uh, this awesome. song reminds me also of uh, Synchronicity too. Okay, but, like, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that certainly yeah. the, the whole suburban rice krispies eating family. Yes. Oh, that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's a very good comparison. Yeah, it's because it's just like. The guy who's totally put upon, and but he's powerless to do anything about it because he's just that's such a weak character, and he just gets pushed around by everybody, you know, and just takes it. 
So yeah, that's you, you were saying that in your uh, in your police show, you know, and every meeting with his so-called superior ends with a humiliating kick in the crotch. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Yeah, we talked about synchronicity too on that on that show. Obviously, it has mm. to be in the mm. top ten. For sure. Um, yeah, and no, but... uh, another thing I was thinking about with this song, if they ever made like a a play about it or a movie, um, it would. It would almost have to be the lead character would have to be played by Terry Jones from Monty Python. <laughs> what, as the mother, as a mother-in-law. No, no, as the as the guy who's put upon, who's you know gets pushed around. He, he Terry Jones for me is one of my favorite of the of the of the, money, of the Pythons, and he always plays those characters. Yeah, but he, he also he also plays all the. I mean, I guess they all did, but particularly Terry Jones. I, I I really when I think what's the quintessential part, it's Brian's mother. Uh, yes. Oh, that, that, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't even think of that, too. It's almost... <laughs> I, could, I just see him, like, I see this whole thing being played for laughs and Terry Jones saying, Why don't you get another job? Why don't you get a real job? <laughs> yeah. Go get the weekly classified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, I didn't even think of that. I was, I was thinking of his, his put-upon character because he's always, he, he plays that guy as well. Yeah. So he, maybe he could play both characters. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, someone uh, yeah. to him. It sounds like I, I always. I know it's just a song. I know it's fiction, but I always feel bad for the guy in this song in Situation Bacon. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, he's, he's such a he's such a nebbish. He's so he's so fun. <laughs> uh, look, I love it. You know, he, they they can't afford to pay the rents, and and in the end, Susie goes home to mother. Her mum is happy with a job well done. And you think, you cow. Yeah. Mom, little mama's satisfied at the very end. Yeah. Ooh, I, I hear that line and I can just see her smiling. And I think, oh, <laughs> you're horrible. Yep. But another great tale of suburban life from the pen of Ray Davies. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I like about this song, I mean, yeah, this is, the song rocks. And really, up to this point, um, the songs haven't been all ballad based. You know, it's been some slightly up tempo, but this is really probably the first real rock song on the album, complete with 1960s false ending. Oh yeah, it has. It, it ends and then it comes back in after like uh, five seconds or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it gets uh, uh, kind of psychedelic at the very end. Well, that's a, it's not otherwise a psychedelic song, but that it has a uh, psychedelic uh, touch. That that. Um, the technique that they tended to use on a lot of uh, psychedelic songs, you know, rather than fade out and slowly fade back in, though, it, it fades out and then it just comes in cold. <laughs> I know. And yeah, it's, I, it's I, almost I, funny. It's almost like, hey, we haven't gone away yet. Hey, rah, rah, rah. Wait, wait, wait. There's more, to, there's more uh, stories to tell. But yeah, wait, I think more. the first time I heard the, that song, uh, I was listening to the album and, and that song came on and, and then the ending came on. I was like, Wait a minute. The next song is the same song. <laughs> I thought it was the next. What song. do they call it? It's the reprise. You know, so. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, what a great stretch, by the way. Uh, Harry Rag, Tin Soldier Man, and Situation Vacant. Yeah. Oh, look. There's. Uh, in fact, I think that yeah. They, apart from maybe Funny Face, which we'll get to, he's on a pretty good roll the rest of the album. Yeah. Well, give or take. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Mm, mm. The next song. All right. Let's um, talk about the next song, which is Love Me Till the Sun Shines. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, you want to take a bit of a lead on this? Uh, well, I don't know. Not really. To, to me, this uh, to me, this song is kind of a throwaway. You know, it's, it's a Dave Davies song. It's you know, it's it's kind of a kind of like his lifestyle at the time was he was a single dude and he was just looking to have fun. And uh, we were talking about how in like two sisters, like his lifestyle, there's not much substance to it. And I feel like the song is kind of the same thing. Like he's like, Hey baby, you know, you don't have to stay with me forever. You just have to love me till the sun shines, mm. you know? And well, I've, I've sort of, I've got a take on this. Um, I mean, look, the first time I heard it, you know, I just thought, Oh yeah, just another sort of throwaway line, you know, love me till the sun shines, just, you know, romantic poise. But when you listen to it, really, it is a song about, you know, we don't have to do anything. Just let's fuck. Um, exactly. which so really, you know, it, it, I can just imagine Dave going to Ray and say, hey, listen, I've got this great song, I've got this great song, and it's it's really, it's going to be really subtle, and you know, Ray said, yeah, okay, okay, Dave, whatever, <laughs> let's, let's just record it. Um, but look, the, the things I wanted to bring into this, I wanted to make mention, the introductory guitar part sounds like it was later on ripped off by the RZA for the Kill Bill theme. Think about it. And just, well, when I went to see Kill Bill, I thought, this is that, this is that kink song. Of course, it, you know, the, the, the RZA thing goes somewhere different, but that just that introductory um, staccato guitar riff, it just reminded me completely. Yeah, well, I think musically, it's, I, I love this song. It, it's a freaking, it's a rocker. You know, it, it's it's a... It's a hard rocker for sure. Especially Look, it's pretty straightforward, but it, it, to me, it really works. It's not, you know, in the same league as Death of a Clown, but it is a great song. The other thing that it sort of uh, takes me in mind of uh, uh, lyrically, um, this whole thing of look, you don't. Uh, he's saying you don't have to look at me, you don't have to smile at me, you just have to love me till the sun shines. You don't have to cook for me, you don't have to laugh with me, you just have to love me till the sun shines. There's, uh, an Australian band called the Audreys. Um, this sort of, I guess, you know, folk rock type thing. Um, and their second album, they had a, a great song called Lay Me Down. Mm. And it covers conceptually same sort of song, but it's being sung by a woman. And I got to tell you, the, the lead singer of the Audreys has got a very sexy voice. So, you know, just to hear her sing this sort of thing, it, it, it covers not just topically the same thing about, you know, let's just do it, but it's it, it does it the same sort of way. Like, I don't want to meet your folks. I don't want to hear your <laughs> jokes. I just want you to lay me down. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Just lay me down. So it, it's, oh. it's even gone and taken a similar sort of structure, similar sort of approach. But, you know, when... When Dave Davies sings Love Me Till the Sun Shines, he sounds like an excited 15-year-old boy who's <laughs> you know, about to get his first shag. And um, yeah. in, in the Audrey's, I've forgotten the name of the, the lead singer, but when she sings this, it's so seductive. Uh, see if it's on, on uh, YouTube. The name of the song is Lay Me Down by the Audrey's. Um, it, it's, it's a killer song. Uh, just this song reminds well. These two songs are remind me of that. They'd work side by side in a golden radio hits twofer, except no one's, unless the album fanatics have heard of either of the songs. Yeah, really. <laughs> I like that. This, you know, he's got, Dave's got a one track mind, you know. <laughs> you know well, I, music, 
musically it is about as straightforward as that sentiment you know yeah look i i sort of feel a little bit hypocritical because i i really do prefer a song where the implication about sex is is subtle um although although as i've gone and mentioned on my show before uh one of my all-time favorite albums is um get the neck by the neck and there's nothing subtle on that album but yeah that's that record is purely about sex i mean yeah what he sings on on one of the songs no fucky fucky today and and um really i mean that's there's no subtlety on that did you hear the uh top 10 songs about sex that we did i did i did yes yes i did uh, yeah we played good girls don't uh look strangely strangely enough when i discovered you that was the first um uh, uh, podcast I downloaded. Uh, I thought, yeah, yeah. and really, I, I think you know, as soon as people sort of going to go through your back catalog, they're going to think, oh, that's the one we're going to go for first. So, it's uh, strange that one seems to get more uh, archived plays than any other. <laughs> but you're not surprised, are you? No, no. Um, but uh, yeah, probably what well, you should have done was once you, you know, downloaded, say, now that I have your attention, this is my top ten gospel songs. <laughs> but now, what I was going to say is. I I still love this song, yeah. despite the fact that I'm you know probably more attracted to the more subtle songs. But you know, once again, my favorite album is a song completely about with no subtlety whatsoever. Yeah, well, let's get it on. Hardly has any subtlety either. Well, know? oh god, now there you go, disproving the rule the rule again. You know, because that, that, that's yeah another phenomenal album. I I got um, years ago. I think Motown went and released. A whole bunch of their albums as twofers, so I got uh, "What's Going On" and "Let's Get It On" as oh, two oh. albums on the one CD, and you, you got "Let's Go to Church," "Let's Go to Bed," uh, well, not, not not "Let's Go to Church," but you know, let's let's take a look at you know um, the state of the nation, and let's take a look at the state <laughs> of the double bed, you know. The world's falling apart, and what are we going to do about it? Let's just <laughs> let's just lay down. Yeah. All right. So, um, love me till the sun shines. I think we've probably talked about all the uh, deep subtext. <laughs> I said deep um, subtext about oh that song. <laughs> good one, good one, Dave. Real, uh, <laughs> real, real poetry on that song. Indeed. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go on to uh, the next track. This is Lazy Old Sun. Lazy Old Sun. Both a positive and a negative way. It, it's for me. It, it's a fantastic song, but it doesn't, to me, sound like a kink song. 
at least not a kink song that belongs on something else. What do you think? Um, I think it's kind of a, uh, much like this, the next song we're going to talk about, I think this song is kind of a precursor to Village Green a little bit. Okay. There's a lot of stuff in Village Green where he's celebrating nature and just being outdoors and, you know, pastoral scenes, you know, and this one's got a bit of that in it. Um, although it's a little creepy, though. It's got that, that I think it's that a cello. What is that? That... Oh, yeah, oh, it might have been a, a, a bottom end cello that had been on a tape uh, slowed down, or or, or it could have been a, a bass played with a bow or something. I don't know. Mm. But there's a little bit of psychedelic uh, element to it. Oh, this is full on psychedelic. I mean, I, I read those lyrics and I'm thinking, you know, what were you smoking at the time? <laughs> you make the rainbows and you make my you make the night disappear. You melt the frost, so I won't criticize my son. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, he's he uh, he likes the song apparently. But, but having, a, having said yeah. that, I think the next the next line I think is re- is a killer line. Didn't matter whether he wrote this while on on substances or not. Um, when I was young, my world was three foot seven inch tall. When you were young, talking about the sun, there was no world at all. And wow, you know, a great lyric, really great lyric. Yeah. But but this is psychedelia, like full on, as we we're talking about. Gilberto influence. I reckon this is probably another exercise. Yeah, I can see that. He's like, okay, uh, Hendrix, let, let me try something like that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the Ringo drums on this. Yes. Yeah, especially at the end, it kind of breaks down and the drums kind of go a little crazy. Yeah. Plus, I mean, he's he's playing this predominantly with the. Um, the, the the snare off on the snare drum and he's all over the the toms and it's not like a, you know, a steady beat or, or anything like that he's just stream of consciousness so I think I'll play this and I'll play boom 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 he's all over the place very Ringo painting pictures with his drums yeah definitely definitely that, that's a great way to put it I like that I like that uh, I didn't even think about that he turned the snare off you're right yeah yeah um I also I like how discordant this is uh, that you know, the descending chord pattern. I'm a, I'm a sucker for descending chord patterns in, yeah. in songs. Isn't there uh, a trumpet on there too? Yes, yes. Well, that that sort of works against this because you've got the the general um, uh, st- structure of the song. You know, they're playing with the guitars, so this descending chord pattern. But the horn part, when it creeps in a couple of times, it's it's ascending. It's working against that. So. Bop, bop, bop. And it just yeah. they they work off against each other, and the 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 song it seems to sort of like it's changing keys every every couple of bars. You know what the the inclusion of the trumpet might have been an homage to uh, Penny Lane because it came around around the same time, I believe, like slightly after that. Oh, okay. well, that that works for me. I, I'd say that uh, there's some truth in there. And like, like Sergeant Pepper had a lot of horns in it, yeah. you know. Could be. Yep. Uh, look, a wonderful uh, little slice of psychedelia uh, mm-hmm. on that, or as the Ruttles would call it, uh, psychedelicatessen. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to um, Python references on this show today. Oh, plenty, full on. I bet, you know, Ray Davies was a man with a sense of humour, so uh, it works. It works. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to the next song. This is Afternoon Tea. 
This one, uh, like I said about Lazy Odessona, it's kind of a precursor to Village Green, you know? Yeah. It's very, it's very British, <laughs> you know? We don't take afternoon tea over here in the States. We just I don't know if you guys do. I'm, I'm sure you do. Uh, it's not as prominent as, as over there, but we do like going to our um, uh, little cafes and, and having Devonshire tea. So it's, it's, not, it's not part of the culture, but it is commonly... Mm-hmm. It, it's just considered. Oh, isn't that? Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do, rather than it just being a natural thing? All oh, right, we stop at three for tea. Yeah. No. I, no. We we just don't do that over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it sounds it sounds nice. You know, I, I was just in England in April, and yep. we 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 went for high tea. Um, I forget where we went, but uh, man, it was it was it was really fun. And, and, and really nice. Like, like you guys do this all the time? Really? This is really cool. You know, they had like the full on, the finger sandwiches and the, uh, scones and all that stuff. And, oh, you, uh, you ought to start up a, a, a British style cafe over there in yeah. Los Angeles. You'd probably make a packet. I think, uh, I think it'd be a good trend. Cause, uh, yeah, I was really enchanted by it. Mm. What, what I really like about this, and I've gone and mentioned this in previous Love That albums, is, I, I I love the technique of taking maybe like a sad lyric and wrapping it around a happy melody. Mm. And that's sort of what we have here. And also more like what we were discussing before in Two Sisters about uh, the mental image of the washing machine that sim- as being a symbol of domesticity. So we're taking here like this daily ritual of having afternoon tea, that very British thing, as being um, just the catalyst for this song about heartbreak. Um, yeah. you know, every day he'd he'd meet he'd meet um, his girlfriend uh, for you know, for afternoon tea, and then one day she just doesn't show up. And there's that you know, heartbreaking line, you know, done but with the, the stiff British upper lip sort of thing. You think at least she might have stayed to drink her afternoon tea. <laughs> it's it's so British. Yes, um, and there's still something of the British musical feel uh, yep. in the song, but and yet it really has uh, an emotional wallop. I find anyway. I think it, it's. Yes. I never really thought of it that way. I always think of it as just like a pleasant little. It's let's have, let's take our tea. I'll take afternoon tea if you'll take it with me. 
you know, you stay as long as you like because I like you, girl. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's so it, that's why I like it's naive. It, it, it could have in Dave Davies' hands, we know what it, where it would have gone, um, yeah. but in Ray's hands, you know, it, it's it's the very British thing, but it's also mm-hmm. the very naive thing. I like you, girl. It's it's almost like I, I'm. You know, we haven't moved to the next stage yet, but I've got a bit of a crush on you, and oh, well, let's—I'll just be very polite, and we'll have our afternoon tea, and then, oh, she's and not she's, having afternoon tea with me anymore. Yeah, she's she's gone and left. See, I was so charmed by this song and just the concept of taking afternoon tea that I didn't even notice in this in the lyrics that yeah, she left him. That's right. Mm. Like, you know how I'd like to see this song being performed. I can, I'd like to see someone doing this wearing. Um, Barbershop outfits with the cane and the hat, <laughs> and because you, you can imagine, you know, Ray taking center stage uh, with the kinks behind him, strolling and swaying, and, yep. and it's just that's that's a mental picture I have, and also a, a little bit for um, another song that we're yet to talk about, so we'll we'll get to that shortly. Thank but that's how I feel. Think Magical Mystery Tour when they're singing. Uh, your mother should know when they're yep. like. Walking down the staircase together. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yep. Something like that, you know, uh, totally choreographed. Uh, well, this that would work for this song, I think. Yep, it's got the same uh, bouncy feel mm. to it. All right, uh, we're we're in the home stretch. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the final Dave Davies composition for the album, Funny Face. <laughs> say this is a song that really does the least for me on the album it's, it's not bad <laughs> but for me not could, as melodically creative as anything else on the album i can tell you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> all right well give me give me your thoughts because it's obviously something that you feel a little bit uh more uh, affection for no well i i really don't very much i mean I, I i know i can see why it turns you off and um I do enjoy singing along with the chorus. I just I have no idea what this song's about. It well, doesn't make- I'll tell you what it's what it's what I sort of see it's about. It's um, uh, a, a guy. He <laughs> the lyric is so shit. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> it, it sounds like this guy is uh, desperately wanting to see his girlfriend, but they've taken her away. You know, and she's she's um in a she's been locked away in a mental hospital. Uh, is that what got- it? Smudged mascara and pill-shaped eyes. Everything you want was bought with lies. Um, I see you peering through frosted windows. Eyes don't smile. All they do is cry. Um, all the gates yeah, of you know, love you won't walk through. The only gates you see are colored blue. And Jesus. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you a reason to like it. Okay. That's 
that stretch right there. Yep. Dave, Dave's voice is, is beautiful right there. I see you. He does the falsetto voice right there. Look, I was going to say probably the one thing I really like uh, musically in the song is where the band stops and it's just that organ, mm. that, that sort of Bach style or church organ thing going there and I've always had a soft spot for that but it's it's only for a couple of lines and they go, oh, yeah. no, no they're back to the band oh this melody it's it's I don't know it oh, does nothing yeah. for me but I do uh, the other what this song puts in mind for me I don't know if you ever watched there was a French film called Betty Blue mm-hmm. uh, I, oh, look I don't want to give away too much in case you know you intend to watch it or any of the listeners out there watch it but there's a part of the film where someone ends up in hospital and the guy can't uh, is struggling to see her um, properly in in the hospital. And actually, the other thing it sort of brought in mind there's a, there's an Australian song from the early 1980s. We were speaking before about split ends. So while they were still around, Tim Finn wrote this song for uh, a group that had um, a couple of hits, I think one of them was I'm Not Like Everyone Else, which I think was a kink song. It was. And, uh, this group, uh, Jimmy and the Boys, they did I'm Not Like Everyone Else, but they also did a song called They Won't Let My Girlfriend Talk to Me. Um, <laughs> but in in this, and it's complete novelty, but look it up. Jimmy and the Boys, and uh, it's on YouTube, and, and it, it's, you know, complete novelty. This guy, he's being locked so- away in the asylum, and he, he's being taken away in a in a straight jacket, and he's singing, and they won't let my girlfriend talk to me. I can't sleep at night. Keep seeing men all dressed in white, and they won't... And I shouldn't be singing on this podcast, but... Hey, you have a nice voice. What are you oh, talking about? Yeah, well, anyway... <laughs> Um, but yeah, this this sort of brings to mind that, but not, or, or it's, not, of, it's not funny. You know, it's, it should be funny. I was thinking of girlfriend in a coma too. Sort of reminds me of that. Um, I have what, my notes here. Girlfriend in a coma. You know, Morrissey. Uh, is it no, Morrissey sorry, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a Smiths or Morrissey devotee. I must confess. Ah, that's okay. Um, the title says it all. Um, <laughs> and the, the lyric the lyric is. Girlfriend in a coma. I know, I know. It's it's really serious. But is it funny? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he so sings it. It's but he's, but he's trying to tell you that it's serious, but it's actually funny. So um, we, we've gone and um, talked about on this show. We've talked about people being in comas and nicotine addiction, mm-hmm. as if it's as if it's funny. That's this is really this, this is all wrong, Ben. It's all wrong. Everything's funny in in, in its own way. Yeah. Um, I have a. This is my notes here because I I don't really I can't, I can't figure out what this song is about. Um, this this is my this is my entire notes for Funny Face. Go for it. Dave Davies' song "Unclear Meaning." Is he in love with a medical freak? <laughs> <laughs> She's on a slab. Yeah, a burn victim oh, question, yeah. and that's that's that, that's my complete notes for this song. Okay, well, that works. So, that works. That, that, that'll, that'll tell you how, how you know you don't really care for it, and that shows you how little I care for it too. Yeah. So. Well, okay, there you go. We're we're of a mind, but you know, yeah. even even the the greatest albums you know have you know one or two throwaway numbers. So, but I, you know, I still consider even for that weak moment, this is still a five star record for me because yes. the, the great songs are so great. Um, let, let's go um, uh, to the second last track, uh, end of the season. Since you've been gone 
saying before with relation to uh, Afternoon Tea being a song that I'd like to hear with the, uh, the not bowler hats, uh, what do they call those flat top hats? Um, well, anyway, you know the hats I'm talking about and the cane and the swaying back and forth. That also applies, I think, for end of the season because, you know, he's, he's taking, he's singing like a lounge crooner here. You can almost yeah. imagine... Frank Sinatra so, singing this, and the the rest of the Kinks are going doing that thing in the I background. Love it. I love that. Is is it a fedora? What you're thinking of? No, no, not a fedora. Um, you know, you know the the, the oh, I'll, I'll remember it. But it's you'll know what I, it's like a flat hat. It, if you can imagine like a um, a snare drum uh, with a rim around it, and, and yeah. a very thin one. Um, like stove stovepipe hat or something. Uh, yeah, a, a, a very small stovepipe hat, but, but there's a specific name for it. Pork pie hat. Is it a pork pie hat? I think I, so. I didn't think so. No, I don't think it's a pork pie hat because I thought the pork pie hats were more like the fedoras. Oh well, um, obviously this is. It's a good thing that this is not a a hat fanciers podcast because we've both failed <laughs> miserably. Um, but anyway, that's that's the feel I get about listening to this song, and it's, it's sort of like um, lounge. Song meets psychedelia. Yeah, um, I but, I love the the shuffle and swing it has to it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this song would feel would be like right at home in a, a Gene Kelly musical or something, or uh, like set, sung by Nat King Cole or something. Yes, yes, but but because of the production of it, the, or maybe because of some of the modulation, the the key modulations in this, which gives it the psychedelic feel. Field, you'd almost imagine, well, you know, Gene, quick, before you go on stage, take some of this LSD. It's good shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it, like in a, in a Las Vegas um, uh, uh, pot bar or something like that. You know, yeah. All the colors are all washed out, and there's just something kind of off about Gene's performance. And we found out early, later on that he took a big old drag off a joint before he got on stage. <laughs> Completely, you know. Um, and everyone in, in the audience did too, you know. And, uh, and but still, and for all of that, it's also a part of it. It's a funny song, you know. I mean, maybe because of the delivery. In if he hadn't sort of sung it in this way, like where he was, you know, really taking the Mickey, um, <laughs> it, it might have been thinking, oh, you know, right, it's a bit ordinary. But then when he's when he's singing lines and singing in that way, you're on a yacht near an island in Greece, though you are though you are hot, forget me not. 
I will keep waiting until your return. Now you are gone. End of the season. And I just sort of find that that whole thing about the island in Greece and you're away while I'm here freezing in London. Um, you know, it could have been ordinary or just when he sings it in that lounge croon away, I find it so funny. It's great. I love this song. And I, yeah, I feel like it's one of those songs where if you just read the lyrics and you don't know the song, mm. you'd be like, eh, this is kind of whatever. But the way it's put together on the record. You know, I, you know, the one thing that's missing from it is a Bing Crosby, vah, 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 boom. it should be added somewhere in there. Yeah. I think, like, to, I think I ought to write an acapella arrangement for this, and then I can throw that va 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 boom. There you the go. Mix. I have the yeah, I could definitely see this uh, done by an acapella quartet. My group actually does um, a version of Days, mm. um, which um, is a song that means an awful lot to me, I've got to tell you. Um, song. Uh, but um, well, we'll talk about that if we ever get around to doing um, Village Green at a later stage. So we're we're at the final song on the album. Uh, well, here's here's a clip. Everyone knows it, but let's hear a little clip from uh, Waterloo Sunset. <laughs> to say about a song that's so iconic. You can't really... Is there anything much more to add to the conversation about a song that everyone knows and everyone's got a picture in their mind what the song means to them? Um, so you can't review it per se, but... I, I don't know about, about that. All I know is uh, at some point we're going to do top 10 closing tracks for albums, and this is possibly number one for me. Do you it's... reckon that this is a song that was maybe just added on in the last minute like not do you think this was written with the um something else project in mind or it was a single and they just sort of said oh look, this is going to be a knockout single let's just put it on the album as a it was a single uh, this waterloo sunset and uh death of a clown were actually singles before the album came out okay. so it might have been uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't read that anywhere, but I, I do know that they were released as singles before the album, uh, which is one of, another reason why the album didn't do so well because everyone already had, you know, those singles. They already bought the the forty fives. Hmm. Uh, uh, whereas their thinking might have been, "Wow, if we have these songs on the album, we'll attract more people thinking that the rest of the album are as you know good as these songs." Which, which you know, for the most part, they are. Yeah. Um, but I know that it was a very it was a very common 
thing back in the 60s to have standalone singles. They weren't just promotional vehicles for, for full albums. I mean, the, you have, like, when all the Beatles stuff came out on CD, you got, like, two, two CDs chock full of A-sides as well as B-sides that never made it on any album. Yeah, past masters. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, yeah. Hard, it's hard to believe that Hey Jude was never on an album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, ha- hard to believe that a seven-minute, ten-second song uh, was... made it so big as a single. But you know, the Beatles were allowed to do anything they want. But no, to to um to Waterloo Sunset. Uh, look, I will say a couple of things. Um, I mean, first of all, I've heard like everyone else who's a, a, a pop music lover on the planet. Uh, I've heard it countless times. And I will never be sick of it. There's, there's probably only a small group of songs that I think belong to that club. There are some songs which I love, but I can't hear hundreds and hundreds of times and have it mean as much or even more to me than when I first heard it. But this is one of those songs which just I, I still get the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I Absolutely. hear it. Absolutely. You know, uh, Ray Davies... Uh, considers this song a personal milestone for him, from what I read. I think he was quoted as saying, there's nothing about the memory of that song that isn't a pleasure. Yeah. He's quoted as saying, I'm, I'm so happy to hear something like that because, you know, you often hear about, you know, great iconic songs and you want to know what's behind that and you get the songwriter saying, oh, yeah, look, you know, I knocked that off in five minutes or oh, that was nothing special to me at the time, but it's nice to know that this great song, which means so much to so many people, is you know, means as much to its composer. Yeah, it's per- that's another thing that's really rare. And uh, yeah, I think everything just came together with this song. He he knew it. You know, it was a huge hit. Everyone in the UK knew it. You know, it's just uh, it's an undeniably great song. Mm. And I I was looking up things about it, and um, according to a radio poll in two thousand four. From uh, London FM, it is uh, voted was voted the greatest song about London. Mm. Uh, Time Out magazine has called it the anthem of London. Yeah. Um, Paul Weller and uh, of the Jam and uh, Damon Albarn from Blur have both cited this song as their favorite song of all time. Wow! And uh, Robert Christgau, uh, who's a music writer, he wrote yeah. for, like Rolling Stone and stuff. You know him. Uh, he says this is the most beautiful song in the English language. Wow, and that's that's high praise coming from Robert, who can be fairly disparaging about a lot of a lot of music that I've loved. Yep, I know. The guy makes me mad because, like, you don't like this, really? <laughs> look, I, I I try to keep my blood pressure down, so I, I don't tend to look at him ter- at his website terribly much. But once yeah, in a while, well, I'm sort of draw. Oh, what does Robert think about this one? Ah, he hates it. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> but this is one Waterloo Sunset's one that we can all agree on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, look, I can completely see. Look, there's been in turn suggestions and denials, but I don't know. Is this about Julie Christie and Terence Stamp or not? Yeah, I don't know. I read that too. That's uh, that it's a, a rumor, and it's you know, it's not, I don't know. I can't I can't comment on that because there's just no. I've read, and what I've read is that it's a rumor. So. Look, you know what? I, what I was going to say about the song itself is because you know recently it was sung at uh i can't remember the opening or closing ceremony of the olympics you can tell how much the olympics meant to me um but um you know he he went and performed this song not only for the hundreds of thousands of people in the 
Olympic Stadium, but you know millions of people around the world. And this is just one of the most introspective, personal songs. It's not, it's not an anthemic song. I mean, there he is performing it in a stadium, and yeah, but it has become an anthem. But it's it's such a quiet, personal song. But sometimes the most personal songs can you know the, the huge audience can relate to, like you know, like Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. I mean, that's completely personal. But every scorned woman in the world knows knows the, that feeling so they you know, yeah they but music but musically if you didn't listen to the lyric you'd be that musically sounds like the sort of thing that you're pumping your fist in the air here the lyrics are personal the music is quiet this is not a stadium song and yet but, but it, it has you know, touched people it really has touched everyone people. knows but everyone knows that feeling of just looking out on a beautiful pastoral scene or or you know in london just a beautiful just a beautiful scene and just taking it in and, you know, feeling great at that moment, you know? So in some way, people, some ways people could relate to it. Look, I think the last thing I really want to say about this song and closing off my thoughts on the album is the one perfect line in this song, which I think pretty much summarizes Ray Davies' whole career. And that is, every day I look at the world from my window. That's a great songwriter's line. And given that he's <laughs> such an observer, he writes observational songs, that pretty much summarizes his whole career, for better or for worse. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're right. Because uh, he made his bones just, you know, looking around at everything and giving his take on it. Mm. All right. Well, I think we've um, we've spoken for almost an hour and a half just on this album. So, um, wow. Uh, once we've added the uh, clips, and it's going to go over an hour and a half, and that's just for this section. But that's okay. You know, podcasts are for long bus trips and the like. So, what we'll do is we're now going to cut over to um, uh, Eric Reanimator for his segment, an album that I love. And as I mentioned earlier, he's going to be talking about a great album from Swedish band, the soundtrack of our lives. So. Um, We'll cut over to Eric. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two. I want two, three, four. Hallelujah. 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 Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. from the Swedish band The Soundtrack of Our Lives, released in Sweden in 2001 and then slowly around the world over the next two years. 
behind the music is an amalgam of punk rock, 60s garage rock, psychedelic music, and high-energy rock and roll. Starting in the mid-90s, the Nordic rock and roll scene from Norway, Finland, and Sweden was filled with bands who were mixing all of these influences in different ways and coming up with different sounds. Bands like The Helicopters, Flaming Sideburns, Turbo Negro, Lucifer, The Ultra Bimbos, Menson, The Laundrettes, and Soundtrack of Our Lives all formed a scene that I was lucky enough to be a very small participant in and have a front row seat to. Soundtrack of Our Lives especially was mixing a swirling Stooges Rolling Stones sound into something that resonated heavily with me. I did see them live in 2001 at a university in Sweden, and then I saw them in 2002 and 2003 in the United States, and they always put on a great show. Let's take a listen to some of the sounds from Behind the Music. I've been cheated by everyone I've been cheating myself I've been cheated by everyone And everyone's been cheated by me soundtrack of our lives via the great music magazine here in the states ugly things which comes out once or twice a year and i like to think of it as the headache inducer because it's just so overwhelming filled with information mainly they focus on reissues of 70s punk 60s garage rock 50s country and blues and all of those 
older musical scenes and moments that rock and roll archaeologists like myself are drawn to. Anyway, one of their issues came with the first EP by Soundtrack of Our Lives, and I was kind of hooked. And then I happened to be in Sweden in 2001. Uh, the people I knew were talking about them and have continued to talk about them. They're a band I have a lot of affection for, and in fact, I just recently picked up their newest record, which is called Throw It to the Universe. We're listening to Behind the Music for this segment. I was struck once again at the kind of fun, jangly, poppy, even Beach Boys-esque nature of some of the tunes. At the same time, there's definitely a harder rocking side and also a more introspective and reflective side to the band. I'm going to leave now with a little bit of one of my favorite songs off the album. This is Nevermore. Catch you all on the flip side. Nevermore Everybody wants to know what Thanks, Eric, for another great album I love segment. I should mention that um, due to your uh, devotion to um, uh, the soundtrack of our lives, I sought out and found I had a friend who had a copy of their latest album, uh, Throw It to the Universe. Um, and I'm just crazy about this record, and I'm, I'm thinking that uh, that might have to be uh, the subject of a whole Love That Album show. I might have to uh, get Eric on to discuss because he's he's done these segments and we've done a shooting the shit uh, program together, but I actually haven't discussed a, an album in this sort of detail with him on the program. So I think uh, Eric will have to get you on to do um, Throw It to the Universe. I, I really love the sounds on that album. Melodically rich, um, some great harmonies going on there and just, yeah, some fantastic songs there. And you obviously know... The, the history of the band really, really well, so I'm sure it'll bring a lot to the table. I'll have to lift my game. <laughs> so, anyway, we've come to uh, the end of uh, another episode of Love That Album. Um, ben, it's been absolutely a ton of fun welcoming you on, uh, having you a new member of the Love That Album community, and uh, hopefully not the last show that I have you on. love to have you on to uh, we'll find out what other albums we can, we can cover. Oh, absolutely. I've got I've got a big list of, of albums that I would love to cover. Thank Shocking. You. I've got a list, you know. A list? Yeah. You of all people. Why would you do that? It's crazy. Um, thanks for having me. This has been a ton of fun. Um, so you want to give uh, a bit of a plug? We've been talking about uh, uh, your, your show, All Time Top 10, but you want to tell people how they can find it? Sure. Uh, the website is alltimetop10.podomatic.com, P-O-D-O-M-A-T-I-C. Dot com um, and uh, you have the most recent episodes there 
Um, we also have all all the episodes are in our archives. There's this, a website called radioforall.net. That's the number four, radioforall.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, just look for All Time Top Ten. Please like us there. And uh, we're also on the Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, the handle is All Time Top Ten. We, um, I think this is going to air after we do um, the next episode, which is uh, top ten rock, uh, top ten non-jazz bass players. Okay. And yeah, me and my buddy uh, Mike are doing that. That should be out by the time this airs. And then the one after that might be upcoming. It's uh, my buddy Dave uh, is, and I are going to talk about the top ten cheesy love songs. Oh, nice. Yeah, every every uh, Valentine's Day. Well, starting we have only done it once so far, but me and uh, the original co-host of the show, Ryan Blake, we did a uh, top ten sincere and not cheesy love songs. Yes, we're going to do a, a part two of that this coming Valentine's Day. But uh, we also want to pay homage to the top ten cheesy love songs. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great ones, you know. Yeah, but I mean, who's, who's to de- declare what's cheesy? I mean, you know, one man's Edam is another man's Wensleydale. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to present my list. My buddy Dave's going to present his list. So, you know, it's just, it's all, it's all subjective. You know, music is always subjective. So, um, that's coming up. And, uh, yeah, Facebook and Twitter and, uh, the website, alltimetoptend.podomatic.com. No, looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to hearing your special, the, the, the next one about the, uh, the bass players, because uh, I, I have to say, probably, my two favorite bass players, one's jazz, one's not. But um, yeah. well, uh, I, I specified that we do non-jazz because I, I like jazz, but I'm, I'm woefully, I, I have a, a very limited knowledge of the actual players, and I would, I would just embarrass the shit out of myself. If I <laughs> but, but then there are people who sort of, I guess you get that, that crossover, so you get... Um, People, is it Daryl Jones, who's uh, known as a, a jazz bass player, but you know he spent you know years with Sting, for instance. You know, but right. um, uh, for, so for me, uh, and now, hang on, is he playing for the Rolling Stones now? I think is I, he. I think he might be the bass player. Well, certainly for a time there, I think he was a bass player for the for the Stones. You know, once um, Bill hmm. Wyman had gone and left, so he's not a, an official member of the group, but you know, just paid employee on, on mm-hmm. the tours, as it, as it were. Um, but look, look, my two favorite bass players, I'd have to say right off the bat, and I'm, I might, I don't know, don't tell me if I'm stealing your thunder, but you'd have to give mention to John Entwistle. And, uh, in a, a jazz vein, but also, you know, I, I imagine a lot of rock people would admire him would be Jaco Pistorius. Um, right. Um, well, an amazing um, player. I won't, I won't, uh, give away too much, but I will say, um, I, in back in 2002, 2003, I played in a Who tribute band. Oh, I nice. Uh, I was John at Whistle, and my uh, guest next week is uh, is Mike Bish, and he actually, you know, he's a bass player too, and he took over as John at Whistle when I left the band. So we've both played John at Whistle in a, a, a Who tribute band. So I've got to ask I can, you. I can guarantee you there's going to be some at Whistle to discuss. I- I've got to ask you. So, if if you were John Entwistle, so I mean, all this time I've been listening to you on the show, and I know that you play bass. But I'm thinking, I wonder how he is as a bass player. But like, if if you were John Entwistle, then I already sort of know. My 
God, this guy must be incredible. So can you, so tell me, can you do the doom 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 boom 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 boom? Yes, I can. Um, well, we, we would do the real me, and ah, oh, uh, phenomenal. Yeah, that stuff is really fun to play, as you can imagine. That has no lead guitar. That's lead bass. The bass and drums are the lead instruments on that song. I know. So yeah, we would do the real me. I mean, the last band I was in was a, a classic soul tribute. So I was doing all that James Jamerson, Bootsy Collins stuff too. So um, I think I, I think I do okay. Oh my god! If you, if you can do James Jamerson and John Entwistle, then um, you know, I, I have to do a Wayne and Garth and go. Oh, we're not worthy. We're <laughs> not worthy. Um, yeah. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I always said I wanted to be Keith Moon, but you know, not dead. Yeah. It's always a nice thing to. You definitely don't want to be. Uh, you don't. We don't want to live his lifestyle. No, no. I just want to have his incredible skill. Yeah. Um, all right. So okay. So thanks for um, uh, giving us the information about how we can find your show. Um, I'll give uh, my um, greetings to the other podcasts that I like to uh, listen to. So there's. Um, uh, the aforementioned Silver and Gold with Zom and Loaf. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Actually, we notice there's a bit of a theme. I've got quite a few film-related podcasts. It took me a while before I could find uh, many music-related podcasts, but or music discussion-related podcasts, but I do love my film podcasts as well. So Silver and Gold, the GGTMC, uh, locally Paleo Cinema, and the Martian Drive-In Podcast, both hosted by Terry Frost. Uh, Twilight Zone podcast, which is basically episode, each episode covers a dissection of every episode of the show. I think they're on season two at the moment. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> and it's great. It's really, really good. Uh, if you like the show, then you do well to uh, search the Twilight Zone podcast out. Uh, Better in the Dark with uh, Thomas and Derek. Uh, Thomas DJ came on the show uh, a few months back to discuss um, Ben Fold's Songs for Silverman and now that the yeah. new album the new Ben Fold's five album is out uh, that was a good another one. Oh, thank you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, look um, oh, actually well we should make mention that uh, you know, Robert Sledge another great bass player and I don't want to predict or preempt but you know in, in, if I would be doing a top ten he's in my top ten um, I am a big fan so I'll just leave it at that okay um the uh, the list music podcast the aforementioned list music podcast uh, the guys love what they're doing and um, look forward to uh, I've still got to get two more members of that podcast on love that album I've had uh, VK and Ricardo so now I've got to get Jenny and Juan so we'll work something out for that uh, sitting in a bar in Adelaide with my good friend Michael Persh it's been um, a few shows since I've had him on so um, I know that we're going to be covering. A great album by um, Australian singer-songwriter Richard Clapton called mm. uh, his album The Great Escape. <laughs> I remember once going to see Eric Clapton performing um, here in Australia, I think back in the early 90s, and his support act made the mistake of saying, I oh, hope you have a great... E or at the end of her set, saying, hope you have a great evening and Richard Clapton will be on uh, after the break. And um, uh, it's... Uh, although I... I I only heard recently that, in fact, you know, Richard Clapton. Clapton is not his surname, and oh. he, he um, in fact, na changed his name to Clapton in honor of Eric. So, yeah, there you go. The things, the things you learn. But uh, now, Richard Clapton is um, 
uh, I, I don't know if you've heard his material or not, but like generally he's considered in Australia that the the uh, the great songwriters here, or one of the greatest songwriters here, is a guy called Paul Kelly. Mm. Um, and uh, but Paul Kelly, uh, I mean, he does write about a lot of um, places in Australia, but generally for a while he was considered very Melbourne centric. And coming from Melbourne, I have no problem with that. Uh, but Richard Clapton, I guess, who was around before Paul Kelly, is sort of like a Sydney equivalent mm. to uh, Paul Kelly. He writes about Sydney so well. Um, and he's actually got a new album out called Harlequin Nights. I've got to get my hands on that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's uh, a treasured songwriter. And if um, everyone in Australia who listens to this show, I'm sure, is uh, a fan of Richard Clapton. I know that... Um, uh, Michael Persh is, and that's why we'll be talking about him. But if um, you're in America or England or anywhere else around the world that uh, digs this show, I'd urge you to uh, search out um, maybe a best of album of uh, Richard Clapton. Um, yeah, just a really, really great songwriter. Cool. So, yes, uh, Michael and I will be discussing that uh, fairly shortly. Um, and what else? I know I'm going to forget someone. Uh, what's this all-time top ten? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, hack. Um, uh, what else have I got written that's, here? That show's lame. Oh, lame, lame. Don't want to listen to that. Um, no, I think I think I've covered, I, I look. I know I've forgotten something. I always, I, I always mean to add to this list, and I know that. Oh yeah, this is a show I listen to, and then forget to write it down. But you know, well, anyway. Well, uh, all the podcasts I listen to don't need any uh, promotional help, but I'll just name them anyway. Go on. Because they're pretty mainstream stuff. I like This American Life. I like Sound Opinions. Well, I was going to mention, yeah, look, I, I listen to uh, Sound Opinions a lot, um, but yeah, they don't need my help. They don't want my help. <laughs> they don't, it's not they don't want it. They don't need it. Because if no, they're, 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 they're on national public radio, they're, they're, they're doing fine. Uh, the Film Vault, like I mentioned. Uh, film film spotting. The Film Vault. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's another good uh, film podcast. Hmm. And, um, yeah, like, Real Time with Bill Maher, I listened to, you know, like, the, the audio version of that show. Hmm. Hmm. And um, the, another show that doesn't need my uh, help is uh, Love That Album. Uh, you know what? You're that's wrong. pretty It needs your help. I, have, <laughs> I, I look at the numbers and I'm thinking, well, you know, what do I do if both my listeners decide to drop off the perch one day? So I'm gonna have <laughs> I'm gonna have no one left. Uh, but um, yes, any any uh, promotional that you wish to give to uh, your thousands of listeners will be highly appreciated. <sighs> so anyway, um, all right. So I think that pretty much covers our uh, uh, our uh, greetings and kudos to uh, the other shows that we love. So yeah. I think at that point, um, I'll say once again, thanks so much, Ben, for uh, joining me. It's now quarter past nine on Sunday morning, so what would be quarter past four Saturday afternoon? It is, yeah, and it's getting hot out here. Oh. It's, uh, summer's no, it's, not up yet. No, it's not going to come up here. It's uh, for for uh, the last day of uh, September here, which is you know first month of spring. It's looking mighty wintry out there, and I've got to do a lot of outdoor sort of stuff here today, so I'm looking That's forward to that night. Well, this. <laughs> Go listen to all time top ten while you're while you're working. I think I will. I think I will. All right, yeah. Ben. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me, Maurice. This has been a ton of fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much, and we'll uh, look and forward to speaking to you on the other side of uh, of a podcast uh, in the next few weeks as well.
Yeah, November. Look for look for uh, more us on uh, All Time Top Ten in November. Mm, cool. All right, and thanks once again, listeners, for uh, listening to this episode. We'll be back in uh, another couple of weeks. I'll be speaking with uh, John Ross, another first time Love That Album presenter, and we'll be talking about uh, a great album from singer-songwriter Ray Wiley Hubbard, uh, the new album that he's put out this year called The Grifter's Hymnal. Looking forward to talking about that. So we'll be back online in another couple of weeks with Love That Album, episode 32. Until then, listen to a lot of great music, read a lot of great books, see a lot of great films, and just generally enjoy life. Speak to you soon. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.